Welcome to the Falvine Podcast with Sarah and Scotty Moe. Here, everything wine and baseball is in fair territory. Today, we will be drinking the 1,000 Stories Prospector's Proof Cabernet Sauvignon from 2020. We will be interviewing very special guest, Mr. Bobby Scales, and getting into our free agency predictions. So grab one glass, maybe two, and join us. Big paper, I increase my wealth, uh Red wine, that's good for my health, uh Wrestle with demons, I ain't take no L's, uh Allow me to introduce myself, I said Episode 7, Sarah, we made it this far I know <laughs> Look at us Alright Today we have a thousand stories Bourbon barrel aged Prospector's proof Cabernet Sauvignon <laughs> Sounds amazing. 2020, yeah. So I picked this one because of our very special guest, Bobby Scales. He has a thousand stories to tell all the time, always. So that's why I picked it. Hopefully he leaves a couple for us. <laughs> Where is this from? This is from California. Nice. Mendocino County. Does that mean anything to you? Doesn't ring a bell, but okay. I'm sure it's good. I don't know. We just saw it. Thought we'd try it. And here we are. Sporting our Clemente wine glasses, as always. Got to. All right. What do you smell, Scotty? I'm smelling uh, oaky. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's barrel aged. Sure. Bourbon barrel, but. That makes sense. So it's going to be smoky and oaky. Cherry. I t- It smells like cherry pie to me. A hint of vanilla, too, maybe? Mm-hmm. I think so. All right, let's taste it. That's definitely smoky. Mm, it's really smoky. I like it a lot. I like the finish. Me, too. It's savory, almost. That's a good That's a d- good description, yeah. Yeah, so on Vivino, they say this wine is very bold. It is somewhere between smooth and tannic. And a little on the more dry side than on the sweet side. So that's why it's probably a little bit more savory in my taste. Um, And in between soft and acidic. Yeah. So I definitely, I think the boldness comes out in the smokiness. Um, But yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I would agree with that as well. Um, This bottle is super beautiful. It has a buffalo on it. And I'm just going to read the uh, back of the bottle real quick. In the second half of the 19th century, explorers flocked to the American West in search of freedom and fortune. Crafted with their stories in mind, Prospector's Proof Cabernet Sauvignon celebrates the qualities of adventure and optimism. This rich, full-flavored Cab Sauv expresses a pioneering spirit, along with signature bourbon barrel notes of charred vanilla and dried herbs. Charred I think we nailed it. Yeah, we did. Let's go. <laughs> we did not read the bottle beforehand. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, me too. I, I don't think you can ever go wrong with a cab. Would you say that's what you drink most of? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's pretty obvious of the past few episodes. I definitely favor my drier reds. I think you do too. Yeah. I would say, uh, you know, a cab, a Malbec, any dry Italian red like a Chianti is usually what I go for. Nice, yeah. I knew it was Italian. <laughs> of course. Yeah, so good. All right. Well, 
We'll be back after our interview with Senor Scales, and we'll be back with our rating. So grab a glass, sip along with us, and we'll see you back here in a bit. Let's get it. All right. Well, today we have a very special guest, a good friend of mine, former colleague, Senor Bobby Scales. He is from University of Michigan, has played with so many different organizations, worked for the Angels, the Pirates, and now with Sports Info Solutions. Welcome, Bobby. Hey, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Scott. Uh, glad to be here, of course. So today we're drinking the A Thousand Stories wine. I picked this because you have so many stories to tell and you you just embody A Thousand Stories to me. Um, when I saw that, I was like, oh, yep, that's a Bobby Scales wine for sure. <laughs> well, a thousand, listen, a thousand, a thousand, seemingly a thousand years in the minor leagues too before i finally got to the big leagues so yeah uh, <laughs> no that's uh, uh that's interesting I, I i would have to i'll have to try that out now yeah definitely it's so far so good um do you like one do you like red if so red or white or what are you into so uh, full disclosure um i don't hate wine uh i i'm not a connoisseur of wine like you are, it's good. Yeah, for the if I want to be on the foul line uh, podcast, I can't hate wine, right? No, um, <laughs> I I like full body cabs. I really do. Uh, I prefer so my I guess my drink of choice is really more scotches. I enjoy very heavily heated uh, scotch. Uh, so, but uh, if I'm drinking wine, I do like full body cabs. Well, even better because I believe this cab is a bourbon barreled cab. So now, see now we're see now we're talking. Now, now we're, we're talking. Now we're talking. You're, yeah, you're it's even my, more a body scales now. one. <laughs> awesome. Love that. Yeah, we are big red fans on the podcast. Yeah. I'd say we drink, we haven't had a white one yet. Not yet. Mostly like dry reds. I am particular to Italian dry reds, mm. but like a full bodied yeah. wine overall. Yeah. Yep. I, I do as well. Cool. So you, like you said, alluded to, you've we're in the minors for a while, a journeyman in that way. But before that, you played for University of Michigan. I see the flag behind you. I know you're from always. Detroit. Did you always want to be a Wolverine? Did you always want to play baseball for Michigan? You, you know what's funny is I, I wanted to play football for Michigan, uh, but I'm, uh, you know, as I sit here today, I'm six feet, one hundred and. 88 pounds and like when i graduated high school i was about five foot ten i don't know 165 so that was not gonna work um but you know to, i did i wanted to go to university of michigan there's kind of a couple stories behind it i told my dad when i was eight that i was gonna play football at michigan uh but you know uh we had moved away i was born in detroit we moved away uh to atlanta when i was a kid and my grandfather was a, was a working man spent uh my mother's father spent uh 37 years on the line at the Chevrolet plant in Detroit and he's a crane operator. But so he wasn't, he wasn't a, uh, you know, that's back in the era when you could, you know, get out of high school and, and move to another city and find a job and work your way up and make a really, really good living. Unfortunately now in our country, that's not, it's not really the case. You have to, uh, you know, go to college. You don't have to, but it uh, certainly makes it a little bit easier, I guess. But the, the point of the story is he wasn't as, he didn't go to college. He didn't go to a big school. He didn't go to any, college um but whatever happened it was weird i don't know how he came up you know it, it 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 happened for him but 
whenever Michigan won a championship in anything, it could have been women swimming dive. I got a, you know, they won, they, anytime they were Big Ten champions in anything, I got a t shirt and a hat in the mail. And so the brainwashing happened, started happening very early on. <laughs> and yeah, and, and then that's when my affinity for the University of Michigan started for, I won't say for the wrong reasons, but obviously the academics are very strong there. And then as I grew through high school, what have you, and, you know, I told my dad I was going to play football at Michigan when I was eight. Well, of course, that's great. But, you know, what kind of academic program? And they had the program I wanted, the program of studies, uh, sport management, and it was very strong. And obviously Michigan as a school is very strong. And I was fortunate enough to to get in. Uh, the whole baseball thing was an afterthought because I was I was a walk on to the baseball team. But I just wanted to I just wanted to go to Michigan. I wanted a big school field. I, was, I grew up in and uh, went to high school in Georgia. And I wanted to go a long way away to school. I uh, wanted that experience as well, and and fortunately for me, all the uh, all the stars were in line, so it worked out. So, Bobby, how was the baseball team at Michigan? Then I know recently they've had a lot of success here in the College World Series. Uh, Coach Backich was recently there. He's I think he just moved on to Clemson. But um, how was the baseball team when you were there? It was great. Um, you know, we when I came in, it, you know, it's funny. Like I said, I walked on the team. It was a very interesting situation. Um, they had the year before I got there. So this is the I'm going to I'm going to date myself here. So uh, this is the spring of 95. I was a senior in high school. They had 10 players drafted off that team, but finished dead last in the Big Ten. So uh, a lot That's of rare. talent was there, but unfortunately, they hadn't they hadn't put it all together. So um, Bill Freehand was the coach. Coach Freehand recently passed. He battled Alzheimer's for a long time. Um, you know, but uh, he recently passed and he recruited my, I say recruited because I really wasn't part of the recruited group, but he recruited our whole group. And um, we had a coaching change. Uh, coach uh, Freehand stepped down in the middle, in the summer. And the coaches that I played for, Jeff Zahn uh, was the head coach, old left-handed pitcher with Cubs. And then uh, uh, Chris Harrison was our hitting coach. And then they retained uh, the recruiting coordinator, Ace Adams, who had done a really good job getting our entire group in. Uh, and we had a great group. They had Mr. Baseball in the state of Michigan, Mr. Baseball in the state of Ohio coming in. Uh, and then, you know, some skinny walk-on guy they really didn't know a lot about from Georgia. Uh, hopefully he could come in and help the cause too. But uh, that that's – in short, um, my sophomore year, we won the Big Ten, uh, the regular season, lost in a tournament. And then my senior year, we won the Big Ten tournament. Uh, Ohio State was the champions that year. Uh, and then we went down there and beat them on their field uh, in the Big Ten tournament. So two Big Ten championship rings out of four years. It was a really exciting time to be an athlete on that campus. We had tremendous sports across the board. Hockey went to four, four Frozen Fours and won two of them. Women's gymnastics, men's gymnastics. My roommates were track guys. They won Big Ten championships. Women's track was, I mean, it was amazing. Uh, I, the, the, you know, I actually had, I had class with Tom Brady, like, um, and that was in 97, they won a national wow. championship. And so it was it was a joke. Like it was a joke being an athlete on that campus at that time. It was it was great because everybody was winning and we were all friends and it was awesome. So uh, a really really blessed time and opportunity, not just on the field um, at Michigan, but but the whole environment, the classroom, the the the, the teachers I had, the professors challenged me. The, just the social environment. It was amazing. It was truly like it was what a college experience from, was supposed to be. It was literally everything I could have asked for. So, um, yeah, I, I revere and I love the University of Michigan, but I love it for so many reasons. This wasn't just about the rings and it wasn't just about the sports. So so baseball aside for a second, is uh, Michigan going to beat Ohio State this year? 
this we yes no question there's no question i feel very good about our chances to go to columbus go to columbus and beat that team down south uh you know we don't you know that we don't really refer to i don't really talk about them that much they just they're just that team down south so that's what we uh that's what we call them they don't like us we don't like them the closer we get the more the hate grows uh no it's not hate no we're grown now it's not hate we uh we just dislike them a lot on game day and then we we go about our lives the rest of the year yeah exactly so full disclosure scotty mo is well uh, okay let, let's back up a second i um don't even <laughs> I don't, don't want even, to hate me don't, already don't, don't even scott no no so scotty i i know i won't even go down that road i'm actually a diehard pit fan i have season tickets to pit football games um i i okay. dislike penn okay. state a lot so i root for anyone who okay. plays penn that's, state that, okay that's good we're, we're I, two for two I, right now i did <laughs> all right now here's where it gets I did have a friend that played that I grew up with. Um, I grew up an hour north of Pittsburgh in a town called Newcastle. Um, I had a friend who played safety for Ohio State. So for a couple years, I did watch them quite a bit, but not anymore. Don't worry about it. I mean, like how close? I mean, like right. Like, I mean, we we, uh, we grew up. We played basketball. I mean, we talking associate. We talking friend, friend, no. like friend. Oh, okay. No, no, like we're good. we played basketball together growing up. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, do you still talk to him? <laughs> no, not really. Okay, we're good. We're, we're fine then. We're water under the bridge. I'll, I'll let it go. Yeah, I just wanted to clear the air. Just wanted to <laughs> make sure we weren't keeping secrets from one another. You know. I, I appreciate. I appreciate the full disclosure and honesty. Authenticity is one of my core beliefs. We're good. We're good now. Exactly. That's there what we we're all about here. I can't believe you had class with Tom Brady. Yeah. That's no. Why. No. So. That, a couple so this is funny right so you know if you think about again I, again fortunate to be at a school like that right so walk into uh i walk into my freshman english class it's um tommy uh steve hutchinson i mean it's two gold dad, right, right there right I'm, no uh no no okay there's, there's, uh the steve hutchinson played guard the, the the one that's my age played guard um okay. at, at, in, for the vikings and i feel like one other team but he was hall of fame guard um and then tommy was in that class and i had another class probably two years later with tommy um uh and then uh I, just it, it was a day it, it was a skinny tom from california that's who i mean that's tom brady that's that's who he was that now he's tom brady it's a little bit different now but um but yeah it was uh and, and you know it's funny like you know like i don't claim to be boys with him i don't have his phone number like if we if he saw me, I we saw I saw him probably about seven or eight years ago. You know, it was, it was a nod and what's up, whatever he remembered. But that that's really the extent of it. I'm not going to sit here and act like me and Tom are cool and you know, uh, he's living on my couch now. That him and Giselle are doing <laughs> what they're doing. Uh, but but you know, we should start that uh, rumor. We should. No, no, I'm not going to start that one. <laughs> uh, but no, we you know I I tell you it was it was uh it had class with I had Charles Woodson and I had the same major. So like I mean, yeah. three guys that I went to school with are going to Hall of Fames in various in in football and like it was just amazing. Like and I'm not they're not just kidding. Like it wasn't even the football or the basketball guys or even us. Like just across the campus, I mean everybody was doing amazing things. Uh, and these are our friends. Like I matter of fact, I went back up to the Michigan State game two weeks ago and I saw you know my my uh, one of our one of our teammates has a has one huge tailgate. Uh, for one game a year, basically all of our, you know, a lot of people come back and it's just amazing to see 
some of the truly incredible things that our friends, uh, you know, have done, uh, doctors, you know, surgeons and, and people who have built huge law practices and people who have done just incredibly amazing things, um, all over the, 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 the landscape of, of American industry. And it's just great to see. So, um, phenomenal experience. Yeah. It sounds like it was so much fun. Great to keep those relationships too. Um, okay. So you are playing your walk on, you make the team, you win the big 10 couple years, you're having the time of your life and then you get drafted. What's that like? Yep. What's going through your head at that time? So I'll tell you my draft story. So <clears throat> senior year, we, you know, I, I go into the, to my senior year, uh, my teammates vote me captain. I finally got a scholarship. So things are falling into place. I have a great senior year. Um, we end up, uh, we were like just kind of hanging around the middle of the pack in the big 10. We were, had some injuries, what have you, we get hot. We win the big 10 tournament. We end up when, um, going to the regional that year. And that was the first year of the super regional. So you got to remember in 90 prior to 99, it was the, it was the regional and you went through the regional. Then you went to right to Omaha. Well, this was the first year of the super. So you got to win your suit, your, your regional, then go to the super. So we go down to Notre Dame. We end up losing to Cal State Fullerton that year. Uh, so career's over. Um, this is probably this is back still when the draft was the second week in June, and this is probably the last week in May. So I got about ten days before the draft happens. So we just where I'm hanging out in Ann Arbor, um, and so the day of the draft, everybody's asking, so what are you going to do? This, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, we went. So meet myself, Bill LaRosa, who's an underclassman. Uh, Brian Bush, who's another senior in our team, and, and Michael Seastead, we all went to play golf at Billy's dad's club. So we start we start playing or whatever. And then on the um like the seventh or eighth hole, Brian Bush gets drafted in the seventh round by the Phillies. And then um I get drafted probably like I think it was like 17 or maybe it was four, 15 or 16. I can't remember. But back it was the you know back nine. My phone rings. Now you gotta remember this is this is when cell phones weren't Everybody didn't have one. And I used to take a bunch of heat for having a cell phone. So my phone starts <laughs> blowing up and, uh, you know, on the course. And that's a, you know, that's a faux pas too. You can't have, you know, you can't, you know, have your phone on the course, even still to this day. But the point is my phone blows up. It's like, it's my parents. My mom's like, oh, she's screaming and my dad's hollering or whatever. And, uh, and so, so I, you know, I get them off the phone. Then I, I end up uh, getting a call from the, from the, from the scout that drafted me. So a guy named Mike Keenan from the San Diego Padres. Now you got to remember again, this is, this is 1999. So you, you got the, you got the, um, you got the postcards in the mail. You filled out the postcards and you sent back to the team, to the agent. Like this wasn't like, this wasn't like, okay, click on this link, fill out this questionnaire. That's what this was. So I knew I was probably going to get drafted. I heard from 26 of the, of the 30 teams. Um, I had heard the most from Toronto and um, Cincinnati. So I, I thought for sure, to be honest with you, I thought for sure it was going to be Cincinnati, just be, from some of the the information I got from their their area guy and, and, and the attention. And then my, I remember my, I never heard from San Diego, not one thing, nothing. And I remember my coach said, you know, a lot of times what happens is teams that never contact you end up drafting you. Hmm. And sure enough, uh, draft day came around. I'm on the 17th hole or whatever. And uh, the the Padres call. And so, you know, the funny part was, so on that course, I do remember this. It's a dog leg left. I bombed a drive right down the middle to par five. I'm sitting in the middle of the fairway. And then my phone goes off a second time. 
So it's Mike Keenan. So guys like Mike Keenan saying, Nigga Padres, hey, Bobby, you know, we really need you to come out here and sign and and we want you to get out, get you going. I said, Mike, listen, here's the deal. I'm playing golf right now with my buddies. Like, <laughs> can you call me back. And he's like, what? I said, yeah, I'm playing golf with my buddies. I mean, I wasn't going to sit around my apartment all day and wait for the phone to ring. That's dumb. So I yeah. went and played golf with my buddies. And I said, he goes, well, how long is it going to be? I said, well, I'm on 17. I'm sitting in the middle of the fairway. I don't know. We're playing pretty fast. Like, I don't know. Uh, you know, give me a couple hours. So sure enough, we finished around. And it, the funny part is I think I was too excited because I just laid the side right over the ball the next <laughs> shot. And I just dribbled it all. I mean, it was a, it was a disaster. I think I made – I'm sitting in the middle of the fairway on a par five. I think I made like an eight or whatever. It was brutal. So anyway, we finished the round, drive back to campus, and I finally call the guy back. He's like – he goes, you got to be kidding me with, with, uh, with putting me on hold, man. We just drafted you. I said, what are you going to do, undraft me? <laughs> you already took me at that point. And I, look, here's the thing. I was a senior. I had no leverage. It was either go back to Atlanta, find a job or do whatever. And, or it was, you know, take my opportunity to play professional baseball. So that was pretty, that was pretty easy. Uh, you know, and I had, and they knew that too. So I got a, I got a thousand bucks to sign. Um, I packed my car up. I drove back to Atlanta. And then I, I think two days later I flew out to Arizona and that was the start of my professional baseball career. Wow. So how was the uh, transition from college ball to professional baseball? Uh, what you notice, and this, this is the thing I tell people. So, you know, what's it like going from level to level or going from triple A to the big leagues? What happens is the speed of the game is so much different, right? Like it's just, everything is quicker. And then as you move up the ladder in professional baseball, everything is quicker, but it's also sharper, right? Like the infielders are better. Pitchers hit their spots more. Outfielders don't let certain things drop. The game is just more, there's more quality to it. And it's a, and it happens at a higher level of quality, but also happens at a higher level of pace, which is, and that's the thing. That's the thing that really uh, jumps out and grabs you, especially that first couple of weeks. And, you know, the funny part is I, I never forget. So we get down to draft camp. We fly in, I go to Peoria, Arizona, where the, the San Diego Padres spring training complex is. And we you know get off the plane, a couple of days of drills or whatever. Then we go right in the inter-squad game. So, extended spring training is still going on so they've got the babies down there these kids are 15 16 a bunch of you know kids from uh mexico and the uh, dominican republic and what have you yeah and my first at bat right against anybody in professional baseball there was this skinny left-handed kid out there who was 16 and he had i mean this kid was real thin looked like you know he looked like you know he somebody dressed a fungo he had these <laughs> He had these, and I listen. I wear glasses too, so I can make this joke. He had these Coke bottles on. Uh, you know, for your listeners that can't see me, I, I wear glasses and corrective lenses. He had these Coke bottles on, all kinds of awkward. He was, he was all knees and elbows coming at you, and all of a sudden, pow, from the left side, it was about 94, 95 from the left side, and he just, and he just blew up my bat. The first thing I take blew up my bat, and I'm like, man, whatever. That kid's name was Oliver Perez, Ooh. who pitched Former for a million. Up. Who, who pitched for a million in one years in the big league? So I, I um, think he was like pitching last year too. Like I feel like he's I been think pitching was for it, it was like years. either last year, yeah, it was like either last year or two years ago. He finally hung it up because I'm I'm staying here today. I'm 45, and I think he pitched that he was 40. So that's about right. I was I maybe may, maybe yeah because uh, I'm 45 and he was probably 17, 18 at the time, if that. Yeah, fun fact: my first pirate game growing up in 2001 when PNC Park was open, Oliver Perez was starting the game. Yeah, I, what a great team! He was a he was he was funny back then. Didn't know a lick of English back then at the time, and 
you know, fortunately I speak Spanish. So I, even throughout my career, I was kind of the bridge guy that, uh, you know, in the clubhouse or in, in those environments. But uh, I ended up playing with him. He caught us. I was an A ball uh, in 2001. He was uh, the second half of that season. He ended up making it on that team in Lake Elsinore. And then in 02, uh, he was there with us in Mobile. And he went to the big leagues from from double A. And that was it. That was the last time he saw the minor leagues. Curious where you learned how to speak Spanish. Like, a you know, from outside looking in, people probably wouldn't have that on you. You know, I'm guessing you learned at school. It did. So, aprende mi español. Empieza en escuela. I started learning my Spanish in school. Uh, I was in the seventh grade. I had a teacher. Her name was Ana Maria Maca, and she was from Chile. And I will never forget. She would all. She had. She she had. She just wore her hair in this really tight bun every single day. It was the same. Just pulled back extremely tight. Uh, and she was absolutely just. She demanded that we speak the language properly and she demanded that we that we use the proper accents and we would there were times where we would say the same word over and over and over uh, it felt like damn near for a near nearly a class period because she demanded if you're going to speak her language you're going to do it properly and that was my foundation cool. right and so wow. it was one of those things where um now the way the way that is taught at least i will say this the way that is taught that it was taught in school Back when I came through, it, we know now through research and practical applications, probably not the best way to learn a language. But um, I was very good at memorizing things, whether it be vocabulary, the way things were spelled or what have you. Um, so it was easy for me. So I kept getting A's in it. I took AP, you know, Spanish all through high school. I took high, I took Spanish all the way through college uh, as an elective because I knew I was going to get an A in it. And, you know, college is hard and you need all the, <laughs> you know, you need all the help yeah. you can get sometimes. So, so I took it all the way through my second semester of my junior year a, at Michigan, and it got to a point where I, you know, obviously we had to, I had to graduate, so I needed room. I had the, I needed room to take other courses, but I I took Spanish from the time I was in seventh grade nonstop to my junior year in college, and and then obviously, so that's that's the book Spanish, right? Right. But obviously, as you you know, you get drafted, and then you're talking to guys from the DR in Venezuela in Mexico. And in different parts of Mexico and different parts of the DR with different accents. And it's like, okay, I know Spanish, but I don't know Spanish. Yeah, like, Not I don't all. know what they're speaking. Que lo que? Like, que es eso? Why right? not? What is you know, that? And, and, and again, you know what else got me too was the pace. Holy smokes. Mm. Or like dropping dropping the S's at the end of words. Like, what is that? That's right, right? Crazy. So you, it's kind of like, a, I, you know, I've got a foundation. It's not very it's it's a pretty good foundation, but I really I, I almost it almost felt like you were learning the language again, which is a whole nother, you know, it's a process right right now. One of my big questions is, you know, I always like to ask people, what are you reading? Well, what I'm doing is I'm going back and reading stuff that I've read again. I've read mm -hmm. once, you know, to relearn or to to because you know how these things are. You miss things um that you read, that you felt that you found interesting, and then you find other things that are interesting within the same passage, right? Right. So, so it was the same thing. It was the same thing with Spanish. Like I, I was really felt like I was learning it again, which really gave me an opportunity to really, I guess, uh, I, I'm not perfectly fluent by any stretch of the imagination, but I do feel very confident in my ability to, to converse with people. So, and that's how yeah, the battle is the confidence, was, uh, right? Like just being 100%. willing to be vulnerable and make a mistake. That's really half the battle. One hundred percent. 
no doubt. And that's how you get better. It's like anything in life. You know, you're going to fail. You're going to look bad. You know, learn from it and move on. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you're with the Padres, and then you go to – you have the Phillies, the Orioles, the Red Sox, the Cubs, and the Mets all throughout your career, which is unbelievable. That's so many teams. Um, what was it like going from organization to organization is – and also, second part of the question – would you rather spring train in Arizona or in Florida? Well, I'll answer that first. Arizona, a thousand percent of the time. The teams yeah, easy answer, are yes. in closer proximity. Um, nine times out of ten, finding housing is much easier because the problem mm-hmm. you have in Florida is you run the beach uh, in spring break goers too. So the and then also too, uh, you know, obviously. You know, it's unfortunate, but a lot of times you have a lot of people in temporary housing if you have a, a bad hurricane season. So the right. prices, everything are, are all are, are all elevated too. So Arizona is immensely easier to navigate than Florida is. Um, the first part of that question, how was it like to? I think you know what's funny is by the time you get to be a six-year free agent. So I got drafted in '99. That half season doesn't count. So you count your spring training. So 2000, 01, 02, 03, 04, 05, 06. I was my sixth year, my sixth full season in professional baseball. You were a minor league free agent. I think it's one of those things where you, by that time, even though I didn't, I didn't change teams, you've been around so many people who are on their second, third, fourth team that you just kind of become accustomed to it. Um, I will say this, you know, I, I was 20. Seven years old, the first time I was a six-year free agent, and that offseason, I mean, I and I had had a good year uh, the previous year before in AAA uh, in in Portland, Oregon with, with San Diego, but waiting for that fifth day after the World Series is over and for free agency to start and, and hoping your phone rang, that was a, that first one was a nerve-wracking process. Now, I, I will say this, this, it was the second day of free agency, and my, my, my agent called me. He said, we got five teams comforting, right? But the, the one thing that you have to realize, so who was a journeyman, look at the number of bats I had uh, when I was with San Diego. I was never an everyday guy. I think the most at-bats I ever had, something always had to happen for me to get a chance to play. And so, you know, going into that, going into free agency, I guess I was just kind of accustomed to my career kind of being in flux from from seemingly day to day, week to week, month to month. And so uh, I signed with Philadelphia. Uh, they actually were the first team to reach out multiple times. They gave me a great offer. Uh, and, and when you're in that situation, you're looking for the opportunity more than the money, even though uh, I made more money as a six year, that first year, six year free agency than I did the year before. And that's kind of how that works. You finally get a chance to negotiate a salary that's, you know, decent i'll call it that uh, i made fifty thousand dollars <laughs> i made 10 grand a month you know 10 grand a month you know that was a, that was a lot of money to a guy who would i think the year before i think i made uh was it 1900 a month gross in triple a in portland oregon um yeah that was tough <laughs> that was tough yeah, but rough. um yeah you know it was so it was to answer the question more succinctly it was it was um you knew you, basically your career was on the line every every year. That was the, that was the long and short of it, and that was something that you had to reconcile in your mind. Like I have to perform. There's no, there's no. Well, you know, I had a bad year or didn't play well. That's not an option. You have to continue to play well if you want your career to continue because there's always someone significantly younger than you behind you, 
probably in my case, more talented. Um, there were some other things I brought to the table, uh, but but at the end of the day, if you can't play, nobody cares. So um, the reality of the situation is, it was it was um, it was hard playing with that pressure all the time. So was it? Um, this kind of piggybacks off of Sarah's question, but was it tough to? jump between organization, have different hitting coaches, maybe each organization had a different hitting philosophy. Was that an adjustment for you? I was very fortunate in that I was never part of an organization that was just uh, super dogmatic about how they went about it, especially with guys who had had a track record of some success, right? Um, so I go to I go to Philadelphia, um, six-year free agent. I'm 27 years old. Um, I've had some success in AAA. I got to AAA when I was at the end of my 23-year-old season, and I had been in AAA every year since. So I'd done something right to that point. And and I think part of the feel, um, part of the um, the art of coaching. So so I believe that coaching is an art form. Uh, there's skill and and there's there's craft. You know, there's the raw skill, the technical, tactical piece of it, and then there's the there's the feel portion, and that that's a craft. It's like a it's like a craftsman that a guy who makes furniture, right? And it's old school, and it's by hand, and he and 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 that woodworker knows just by feeling the grain of the wood which way to sand, like or or just understanding how to to maneuver the plane over the curvature in the chair or the chair leg or the table leg to make it just to, to take just a millimeter of, of, of wood off. That's a craft because there's art and there's skill involved in that. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think coaching is that same kind of craft, right? I had coaches that understood me. I'm, I'm, I'm a live wire. Sarah can tell you that I'm a live wire. <laughs> I've got a lot of energy. Um, and, and when I was, especially when I was a young man, there were times where it was hard for me. Uh, I was going to be my own hardest critic. I was going to work harder than most guys that they've had, and I was extremely hard on myself for my performance. And part of that was honestly, I got cut in high school too. I got cut from my high school team, so it was it was the cut in high school, walk on in college. It was that chip that I was carrying on my shoulder. I felt like I had to be perfect because I knew that if I had a bad week, I had a bad month, I wouldn't get to have a bad year. I'd go away. So they those guys knew me, or they learned me well enough to know. Okay, leave him alone. We'll come to him later. We'll introduce this idea. We'll introduce that idea. And my my hitting coach that year in Philadelphia, a guy named Sal Rendy, who's a, still a friend to this day, um, tremendous feel, tremendous feel. He knew he knew me. He knew when to leave me alone. Um, the next year when I went to Boston, Mark Badatska, same thing. It was great. The next year when I went to uh, to uh, I signed with the Cubs in 2008. I had a hitting coach named Vaughn Joshua. Vaughn was awesome. Vaughn was like he was old school tough he wasn't gonna rub you on the back and tell you it was gonna be okay if you were terrible he's gonna tell you you're terrible he still i still love you but you were you were bootleg tonight um and he was gonna give it to you how and i i, I love people like that 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 doesn't bother me right and so I, I was very fortunate to have hitting coaches that knew me uh and i in in, in fairness to your to your point scotty i had an unorthodox swing from the left side right side was much more conventional i had an unorthodox swing from the left side but when they asked me about it, they would say, "Okay, you do understand yourself. Help me get on the same page you are." And then, and then there was a there was a mutual level of, of respect and understanding. And I, I was very fortunate to have a bunch of hitting coaches and coordinators in the minor leagues that understood that mine was a little bit awkward. It was a little bit different, uh, but I knew myself, and uh, they trusted me. 
and and so um yeah the, the, are there are there times where that's that's hard for some players to get on the same page with an organization that thinks one way or does this or does that and it's different from the way they do it there's no question but i was very fortunate uh and even when i went to japan i know we'll probably get to that in a minute but it, 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 that was i was very fortunate to have hitting coaches and, and coaches that understood that gave that gave me that birth that gave me a wide birth to just be myself yeah very cool i mean that's what it is it's learning before teaching right that's what mm. anything that you're trying mm. to be good at or excel at is hundred so. percent yeah it's and it's a testament to you also to the coaches right you don't really think about this probably as a player but coaches also are journeymen too so they're taking things that they've learned from other organizations that they've been at to that organization so they're also having to adjust to a new organization a new front office a new you know way of doing things so they're trying to it's probably hard for both players and coaches very much so very much so um that's especially i i think in in how do I say this? The stakes are different. I won't say they're higher, but they're yeah. different. If you think about it, some of these coaches have, they have, they have, you know, significant others, they have wives, they have partners at home, they have kids. Um, you know, it, it's real. <laughs> I mean, not that playing is not real. Right. But like when you're 26 and you're not married, you don't have any kids. Like that's one level of pressure. But when you're, you know, when you're 46, when you're 50, and this is a career that you've chosen, and you, this is how you feed your family, this is how you put your kids in private school, this is how you're gonna, you know, hopefully build enough uh, of of a nest egg to retire at some point. It's it's a big deal. So getting on the same page with the people that you work with, um, understanding, and it's funny, I did a talk on this the other day, understanding how to manage both uh, laterally down, and most importantly, in those situations, manage up. Mm -hmm. It's it's crucial. Uh, and look, we, we both seen it doesn't always work out the way you want it to, <laughs> That's for sure. but, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think it's all, all of those things are really, really important. Yeah, for sure. So you signed with the Cubs in 08 and then you finally, finalmente get to Las, Las Grandes Ligas. Is that what it's called? See? Um, what was that like? You made it to the show. Ma, you made it. So I was in um, the, I had two real, I, I was going to say I had two traumas. That's not trauma, but I had two real watershed moments in my career. 2007, I played tremendous. I was, I played outstanding. Um, I played six positions in, in AAA for the Pawtucket Red Sox. Um, I almost hit 300 from both sides of the plate. I led the international league and switch with uh, all, all switch hitters and hitting. I finished fifth in the league in hitting. Um, and I could not play baseball. I didn't think I could play baseball any better than I played that year. I didn't get called up. And I was like, wow, okay. So then I go to the, go to the Cubs in 08. And not only did I play better, I played significantly better. I hit 320. Um, I hit 300 from both sides of the plate. I was second in the league, uh, like third or fourth in the league on base, second in run scored. Um, I played four positions on that team. I didn't get called up. 2009, I re-signed with the Cubs. I go to spring training, have a great spring. Um, Jim Hendry, at the end of spring training, he looks me in the face. He says, hey, kid, you proved yourself. You did a really nice job. I want you to go down to AAA if we need a guy. Um, now, you got to go play. But if we need a guy, you're going to be our guy. All right. You know, uh, cool. So I go to AAA. It's May 
the first. I'm sorry. It's 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 uh it's April. Was it the last day of April? Right. We're in. We're on the road. We're in Memphis, and we have an off day in Memphis. We have a very very young AAA team. It's like old dudes, and I'm one of the old dudes at this point. I'm over thirty. I'm thirty. I'm thirty one years old. We got old dudes and we got babies. Like there's nobody that's 26. Everybody's like 24, 22, and 30 and up. And so we were playing some terrible baseball. I'm in the Flying Fish in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm getting a catfish platter, all this fried food. I shouldn't have been eating it. I don't eat it anymore. I shouldn't have been eating it. My phone rings. It's my manager, who is one of the uh, the infield instructor instructor for the Philadelphia Phillies, Bobby Dickerson. So Bobby calls me and says, hey, Scalzi, listen, get your stuff. Come back to the hotel. I want you to come up to my room. I want to talk to you about something. I was like, cool. So I'm thinking on the way home, you know, we're playing terrible. I'm a veteran guy on the team. Maybe he's trying to just pick my brain to see what the pulse of the clubhouse is, whatever. So I'm thinking. So I get in there. <clears throat> when, I, when I knock on the door, open the door, walk in the room, uh, Bobby opened Bobby answered the door, but Von Joshua, my hitting coach, and my pitching coach, uh, Mike Mason, who I had grown to have a really good relationship with, they were all in the room. So then I get I get a little worried. I'm like, did something happen to somebody? Right? So they, you know, so Bobby sits me down. He says, listen, he goes, okay, they're going to call you up, but they're not going to activate you. So what's going to happen is you're going to go to Chicago tomorrow or almost from here is kind of tweak this calf in Arizona the day before. Now we have simultaneous off days with our big league team. So they're off too. They had flown back from Arizona. And so obviously no one reported to Wrigley that day, but so, um, we have, you know, they're, they're, they're going to test him before the game to see how, where his calf is. Uh, if it's too bad, they're going to DL him. You got to remember this is our IL. You got to remember this is a 15 day IL back then. Right. So you lose, you lose a premier player for two weeks. If you put him on the DL, right. IL. Um, <laughs> So he goes, he goes, don't go telling everybody, don't go calling everybody because we don't know if you're going to get called up or not. Or are you going to, we don't know if you're going to get activated or not. So sure enough, the next morning. So this is, this is how, this is so funny too. The next morning, um, it is thundering and lightning in Memphis and raining sideways. I get delayed three times in the airport in Memphis. I'm thinking like, okay, this is, okay, this is a sign. God's like, just kidding, kid. You're not going to, you're not going to, this. this ain't going to happen. So sure enough, plane takes off, whatever. Uh, it's a short flight from Memphis to Chicago. And, you know, it, we get we take off finally. And then uh, we're on a knuckleball coming into O'Hare. I'm like, OK, th- this is not going to end well. Like, this is not good. Right. So finally, we get on the gr- we get on the ground. And by the time I got on the ground, I turned my phone on in baggage claim and my phone is blowing to pieces. The only person I had called is I called my I called my I my wife, now ex-wife. I called my wife. And then I remember calling my my parents because that, because my dad was going to look in the box score in Iowa and I wasn't there. And he's gonna be like, what's going on? So you playing good. How come you're not playing? So I told him, I said, look, it's not for real. I don't know. It's for real. I'm in. I'm going to be in Chicago. I don't know if I'm going to get activated. So I end up one of my best friends from college, left handed pitcher who's from Chicago. Now he's working at a company in Chicago. He goes, hey, Scales, are you in town, man? They're going to are you in town yet? I'm like, dude, how did you know? He goes, it's all over the place, man. Come on. It's all over the place. I'm like, all right. So this is about noon. They have a night game that day at, at Wrigley. So I don't have to be there till a little later. He goes, I'm going to come by your hotel. I was like, all right. He goes, well, I'll be right by. I, wait, I got to walk in my boss's office and quit my job. But then I'll be right by. And sh- sure enough, he quit his job that day. It was, it's, oh, that's a whole different story for another time. But 
Yeah, right. And he's actually doing, still doing the job that he quit for anyway. But um, so he ends up taking me to Wrigley, and I walk in. I walk. I remember walking into Wrigley, and this is before all the renovations. Okay, so in in the old Wrigley, you had to walk through the concourse where everybody else walks. Open this one unmarked door between a pretzel stand and a popcorn stand, and that's the entrance to the Major League Clubhouse, Wrigley Field, back in the day. Crazy. Right, and so I walk in, and the first person I see is Ramos Ramirez, and he says, "Hey, Poppy, my leg, I got no chance." He goes, "You're gonna, you're gonna be here." So now my head. So and there's another story that 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 juts off of this, but I didn't want to make. I didn't. I didn't want to let myself go there mentally because there was a possibility that he, you know, they don't want to put him on the injured list. Losing for 15 days, and I'm on a I'm on a plane back to Memphis the next day. So I played with a guy in 2006. I played with a left-handed pitcher. Um, long story short, got sent to Philadelphia. Um, supposed to start game two of a doubleheader. They get game one in, and it starts raining sideways. And they call they they call off the second game. There's an off day behind it. So now they don't need him. He was 33 years old, never got back to the big leagues. Wow. So oh. that's only that's that's that track is running in my head. Right. Watching him watching him come back to us in Scranton. He wasn't, I mean, and I'll give him credit. He he shook it off and he pitched great the rest of the year, but he didn't get called up in September either. Mm. Never got back to the big leagues. And so here I am, 31. I'm in a very similar situation. The guy that I'm supposed to be replacing. Says there's no way he's gonna get you know, Poppy. I'm I'm no good. My legs, you know, I'm messed up. I got I'm, I got no chance. And I look and it, it, God is funny, man. I'm a believer. God is funny. I think he puts he gives you things, uh, just situations that are unbelievable. I remember looking to my right, and I saw so I wore number seventy. I was non roster invite guy. I wore number seventy three in spring training. Right. I looked to my right, and right there is my locker. It says Scales, Chicago Cubs, Bobby Scales. And my locker is right there, and it's got my jersey, and it's got twenty four. Like yeah. it was, it was right there. It was real. Like it's right there. Like that's my big league dream is right there. I don't know if I'm going to get it yet. Wow. Right. So here I am. I'm sitting there. I'm on. I'm on a stool. I refuse to go over to that side of the clubhouse. I'm not going over there. I'm sitting in a chair on the other side of the clubhouse. And you think I'm kidding? I'm dead serious. I'm not going. I know over you're there. not kidding. That's why. And funny. so, and so, and so, and so, what ended up happening? They took him out. They run him through test. Jim Hendry comes down. He goes to Mark O'Neill's office, who was the head trainer at the time. He, you know, he talks to Mark O'Neill. Mark O'Neill and Jim Hendry go up the steps into to, to Lou Pinella's office. They come down the steps. They talk to Ramos. Ramos goes back. It was a joke. They're going right past my face over and over again. And here I am. My big league call up is in is is hanging in the balance. So finally, stretches at like four o'clock. So it's like 3.58. I'm not dressed. I don't know if I'm active. And Jim comes and grabs me and go into Mark O'Neill's office. Because, again, you got to remember, all the offices were across the street at the old Ridley setup, right? So mm-hmm. so we go into Mark O'Neill's office, and he says, Bobby, I, I feel bad about what I'm about to do, but they told you what the deal was. I said, I said, Jim, they told me exactly what the deal was. I'm under no, you know, no, uh, there's no guys I'm under here. And he says, well, I got to send you back because it's going to be about three or four days. I can't be without this guy. He's our three-hole hitter. I can't be without him for the next uh, 
15 days when he could probably play on the eighth or ninth. I'm like, that's fine. He goes, why don't you stay tonight in Chicago? And we'll get you back, um, you know, to Memphis tomorrow. I said, uh, I, if you can get me out now, I'm fine. And sure enough, before the first pitch, I was on a, I was in a, I was in a cab going back to O'Hare. I got back to Memphis that night about midnight. So depressing. So fast forward five days later, four days later. Okay. We are in Memphis. We're playing. Um, and if you've ever like it's you look, if you've ever been in the southeastern United States or in that part of the country, when the sky starts turning funny colors and it gets really cold, you know it's about to get ugly, right? Yeah. So it's purple off in the distance. We got about 20 minutes. We're like in the second inning. Sure enough, it starts raining sideways, stuff starts flying around, and they call the game, and it is bad. It's it is I mean, it is storming outside. So they're playing they're playing a home game in Chicago. They've got a day game. This is it's a Sunday. Uh, yeah, I think it's a Sunday. And sure enough, Zambrano had already, I feel like Carlos Zambrano had already either hit a double or a homer earlier in that game. It's like the fifth inning. And he decides he's going to take a drag bunt with him. And he drags, drag bunt, you know, drags the ball. It's actually a pretty good bunt. And he's trying to beat it out. Next thing you know, you see him pull it, pull his hamstring, pulls up right, right after first base. And so look, I mean, you know, we had a guy named Randy Wells who was sinker slider guy, and he was just dominant. He was just carving people. Sinker slider changeup, sinker slider changeup. It's weak contact, swing and miss with the slide, with the uh, with the changeup. I mean, just not walking anybody. I mean, he's pitching great. So I'm, you know, I'm an old guy. So I go over to his locker. I start packing his bag. They go, oh, I said, right, Wellesley, you're going up, man. They need a pitcher. You're going up. So sure enough, uh, our game's canceled. We get on the bus. We end up going back to uh Iowa and we get off the bus early that morning and Bobby Dixon comes over to me. He says, Hey Scalesy, guess what? I said, what? He goes, you're going back to the big leagues and it's going to be real this time. I said, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. And so long story short, go back, uh, go back to Wrigley. Same deal. Scales 24 hanging over there in my locker. I go on the other side of it. We're not doing this yet. I go up into, I go up and knock on Lou Pinella's door and I, you know, I say, skip, I'm here. He goes, he goes, okay, good, kid. I'm glad you're here. You know, this is, we're going to activate you this time. It's going to be great, son. We're ready for you. You can just do your thing, son. <laughs> and I said, all right, whatever. You know, we'll see. Uh, and so Haley DeWitt comes out of the office. Haley was the uh, – she was the uh, one of the uh, administrators uh, in baseball ops. Then she had my contract, and I signed my contract, and I was a big leader. And so I actually got, actually got uh, activated that day. I was on deck to pinch it. Uh, Coy Hill hit into a six four three double play. Uh, that was that, and then I got to start the next night. Nice, that's amazing. That's a whirlwind roller coaster yeah. of emotions. Yeah. Now it was, you know, it was crazy, and it was a, uh, you know, it was uh, it was special for a lot of reasons. Number one, because there's been there was a lot of people that stayed with me. It was ten years later. I mean, I you know I got drafted ten years ago. Yeah. Right, and it and it's, you know, a lot of people. I won't say doubted me, but like, hey, how long are you going to hang on? And I, and I kept playing well. I mean, you, you know, I don't want to plug my numbers, but I had had good good seasons, and I genuinely felt good about the way I was trending. And then you have that you have those epiphanies, like you're you're watching guys across the field that have a year, two years, you know, a year and a half service time or whatever, you know, playing in the minor leagues, playing in AAA, and I'm like, this guy's not better than me. 
I'm going to get my opportunity. When I get my opportunity, I'm going to seize it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to get my opportunity. I got I have to keep doing this till I get my opportunity. And that's really all it was. I kept having fun. I kept getting better. I kept having a good season. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm comparing myself to these guys. This guy's not better than me. And that's what kept me going. Nice. The best pitcher I faced in the big leagues. Yeah. Um, so the funny part was I got my first hit off Tim Lincecum, that first start. Right. And he was reigning Cy Young Award winner. The best pitcher I saw in the big leagues, it was probably um the night I saw Matt Kane, I was like, We need a tennis racket. <laughs> he was um, a sinker I, guy too, wasn't he? No, it was power fastball, big oh, curve. Pop. It he was he would have he would have fit in, in this era of pitching. Mm. Mm. Cause it was four seamer top of the zone, big curveball off of it. Yeah. Twelve yeah. yeah. sixer. Uh uh we I saw him twice and it was ugly. Um you know it's funny because I, I saw it, it I don't I don't want to say this incorrectly, but like I saw John Smoltz. I think it was two thousand nine. I got called back up, it was September, and we were in we were in St. Louis. This is his last year playing. It was, you know, the John Smoltz of the mid nineties. It was powers, fastballs, curveball slider change up. I mean, just nasty, right? And my first at bat against him, he started the game. My first at bat against him, I hit a line drive to Matt Halliday and left off my fastball away, which was my bread and butter. I love the ball away from me and I love fastballs. The next time I saw him, he threw like, he threw me set. I battled him. I ended up, I think I hit a ground ball at Brandon Ryan, but I, I, he threw me seven straight breaking balls. All of them had different shape. All of them came at different velocities. A couple of them were back door, a couple more were back foot. It was amazing watching a true craftsman, right? Do what, manipulate the baseball the way he could. None of those pitches were, they were all sliders or kind of that slurvy slider he threw, but they're all different versions of it with different purposes behind it. And it was, it was, it was, it was really, it was really looking back on that. It was like, wow, that was, I hit a ground ball, but he's a hall of famer. And like, he just, he did, there's nothing. There isn't anything left. Like it wasn't the vintage John Smoltz. It was there was a guy out there with his jersey on. That was yeah. the, you know it was a different it was a different guy. And I don't mean this disrespectfully, but he was you the the great ones figured out. Yeah, mm. like right? Verlander, right? Like he's... yes, right. Like as you get older, you got to figure out different ways to get stuff done. And he was doing it on the fly. It was amazing to watch, right, and to be a part of. Um, I saw Trevor Hoffman. Um, I saw Randy Johnson. These are all these guys were all at the end, right? But still, they were still getting it done, and that was that was the piece that was amazing. These guys are still they're they're they were at the back on the extreme backsides of their careers, and they were getting it done, and they're doing it in very different ways than they did in their prime. But then also, I saw Tim Lincecum. I saw vintage Matt Cain. Okay. I saw vintage Chris Carpenter, right? Um, so like the best, that like I said, I'd never seen anything like I I, I think. I think I got six at bats off Matt Kane. I think he punched me out twice, but my other outs were not. I mean, they were like weak contact. Like it was, it was nothing to write home about. But those two nights I saw that guy, I was like, this is, that's the big leagues. That's what it looks like right there. So, um, yeah, I, I'll probably say the best I've ever seen was that, was that one night in San Francisco where we saw Matt Kane. Cool. So you're in Chicago living the life, um, then try to go back for another year and decide then to go to Japan. I'm curious, do you eat sushi? And if so, what is your favorite role? Yeah, so uh, th 20, 20, what was that? 
11? 10, 11, 11, right. Yeah, 2011. Started, so this is interesting, too. So 2011, I had a great spring training. I thought I made the team. I didn't. I was, it was, uh, I was a 26 man. Next thing you know, um, a team from Japan calls. And so the, Japan was awesome. It was it was such a weird. So I went 2011 and 2012. So 2011, I go to a team called Nippon Ham. Nippon Ham is in Sapporo, which is on the northern island of Hokkaido. So um, wonderful people. They're very nice. It was extremely difficult to be foreign there because mm. you just don't have. It's not like being in Osaka or in Tokyo. Um, you know more worldly cities i guess uh where you have more uh influence from around the world and thus more english spoken so poro there was very few people that actually spoke english so you might get one person on the street in in Sapporo that knows english forget it helping you right so it was very difficult being foreign not hostile but just difficult to be foreign up in that uh up and up in Sapporo. my team was awesome that was the it was a weird dichotomy like off the field was really really difficult on the field, that stadium was awesome because our team was good. We ended up finishing second in the league, went to the playoffs. We lost. I played with Darvish. Um, cool. That, that was the year he posted to the States or whatever. Um, we uh, Atsunori Inaba was our first baseman. He was 41 years old. He's now the manager of Samurai Japan, their national team. Um, we had some really cool vets. And then my uh, my skipper, uh, uh, Matsutaka Nashida-san. I love that. He was awesome. He loved his guy, Jen. Um, and so the, the day, so this is funny. The day I got there, right? First of all, you're, you're, you're 13 hours on the wrong side of time. So your entire, your entire day is flipped upside down. I'm, he, he calls me down with my interpreter. He calls me down to the team dinner. Uh, and he has that kind of a special table for me and him. And then our other guy, Jen, was a guy named Micah Hoffpower, who was my teammate in Iowa. In 08 and 09. So we had a great relationship. We were awesome. We were good. Uh, and so I'm I'm eating. We're we eating. I'm I am fighting my face off to stay awake because you know it's like the middle of the night to my body, but you know, uh, you know, it's it's the middle of the afternoon to to every you know to in Japanese time. And so um he was great. I mean, but but that whole experience it just was just was everything was so different including the baseball and it takes a minute i mean but between the jet lag and they do things differently and you have to adapt oh and by the way you are not a tourist you're there to play well right like that's another thing i i, I talk to guys now that go over there man i'd love to go over there and just have the experience and hang out i said okay don't go over there with that mindset because you'll be you'll find yourself in the japanese minor leagues quicker than you can think and it will be bad right and you got to go over there with the mindset of I'm going to play hard. I'm going to respect their culture and I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to play some good baseball or else you'll be out very quickly. Um, so th it was, it was really an interesting, interesting, um, experience. And I, I did eat sushi. Um, the, the sushi that we know, uh, domestically in the United States is nothing like actual, uh, you know, sushi that, you know, that, that, that the Japanese eat and sashimi that the, that the Japanese eat. Yeah. Uh, it's way better. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> it's way more adventurous. Uh, like the eel, I stayed away from the eel and the octopus and the things of that nature. Uh, I I usually am pretty adventurous with food, but if it can look back at me, I'm out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it it was great. It was really 
it was a really, really good experience. I'm glad I went. Um, I wish I could have played longer. Yeah, that's awesome. It gives you a real picture of what it's like for um, international guys to come play in the U.S. And one hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. It is extremely difficult. I think yeah. people 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 don't understand until you're immersed and you're in you are in a situation like that. Because we can tell them all we want, but until, I mean, and I, I you have you have these moments of clarity, like you get off. Again, I've been very fortunate. The good Lord blessed me with enough, um, with the you know fair level of intelligence. And you get off the plane, you get off the plane in Japan, and even in the airport, like there's no, you're functionally illiterate. Yeah, I can't read kanji. I can't speak the language. You know, and <laughs> you got to figure it out. And that's kind of like how it is for you know for the young Latin players to come over uh, to the states. Absolutely. Bobby, I think I heard you say before I, I dropped that you played against you Darvish over there. Is that is that correct? He was on my team. Oh, yeah, he wow. was on my team that first year in 2011. Yeah, he was on my team. How like how was he as as a prospect at that point? Oh, it was amazing. I was like, this guy's going to dominate people. <laughs> the stuff was just it was a joke. Like it was it, it was he I think he would get bored and just start doing stuff on the mound. Wow. Just, Make, making up pitches. He was that dominant. <laughs> I'm telling you. He would just make up, a, make up a pitch and whatever. So I, I tell this story quite a bit too. So this was a random day during the season, right? And Darvish was throwing his bullpen in the – so all the bullpens are inside over there, and right? So they like the, the bullpens and the batting cages kind of double as one, you know, one another. So I'm in the, I'm in the cage two over. Darvish is in the in the far one on the end, and he's throwing his bullpen, right? Now, mind you, he's starting tomorrow. It's like Thursday, and he's starting on a Friday. So so he, he gets warm. He does his long toss outside. He goes in, and he gets warm. So he, you know, fastball glove side, fastball arm side, fastball glove side, and he's just pow, 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 dotting spots, right? So then he goes like this, and that's I'm giving the universal sign for curveball. Flips a curveball in there, and it's a yacker. Boom, for a strike. Same thing. Flips another curveball in. Flips another curveball in. And then I, I I don't know what he said, but he must have said something to the effect of, I'm going to throw a bunch of curveballs till I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> he threw, and this is, this is I sat, I stopped what I was doing. I was done at that point. I was, I am not paying attention. He threw, I counted 51 straight curveballs. Holy shit! He was, I, I think he, I think he was trying to work on his field or whatever. But it was diff, It was in. And again, again, this speaks to the craftsman, right? It was like, and I had just, you know, this is 2011, so I had that experience with John Smoltz in 20, in, in 2009 in St. Louis. But he's throwing everything at different speeds, at different shapes, different breaks, you know, different sides of the plate. He's bouncing some of them, but he's trying. He's trying to get that feel. The dude, I watched him throw 50 plus straight curveballs. Yeah, that's and insane. I was like, I was like, this cat's different. This cat's different. And then the next night he goes out there and mows, and he, I think he punched like fifteen or something like that. We end up winning. It got, he was a joke. It was amazing watching him go about his business. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, ask away. Um, well, I guess this brings to the game today. Um, what are your thoughts on the changes that are coming to the game next year, like the banning of, of the shift and the uh, enlargening of the bases? I don't see I honestly I honestly don't see what making the bases bigger is going to do. 
and it's marginally bigger if i'm not mistaken right like these are yeah it's not it's not a significant amount that they're adding I'm, to the bases. We're in it. If I'm not mistaken, isn't it like a quarter inch on each side? Like, what is that going to do? Yeah. I don't know, to be honest with that one. The shift is going to be very interesting. Um, I, 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 I think what I would like to see, period, and I hope this, this brings it back, I would like to see the single matter again. We've devalued the single to a point where it almost doesn't matter. This, this is why you're seeing all of these guys uh, punch out so much trying to hit doubles or homers, right? Um, because they're trying to hit the ball over the shift. I would love to see that the shift has an effect of allowing guys to put more balls in play. And thus, we value hitting with two strikes. We value... Uh, not going for the downs on every pitch. Um, I think pitching. I, I I will say this though. If you think about it, I think we we really harp on the true outcome, the three true outcomes on the pitching side, and we really harp in terms of finding players and also developing players. You hear this term all the time. Well, he needs to miss more bats. We need to miss more bats. Yeah. So if we've got players where we if we know we can't put players where where guys hit the ball, it's going to put more emphasis on guys just going for strikeouts, which I think is going to make pitching a lot worse. I think you're going to see walks go up. I think you're going to see batting average come back to a respectable level. I think you may see strikeouts go up, but not as much as as um, as you would think. Because I think guys are going to cut their swing swing down and, and try to hit balls where, where people aren't. So it, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a very interesting uh, dynamic. I, I thought about this today because, you know, I, I had another question of you know, just spitballing with a friend of mine. But, you know, I really think that that we're really going to see more emphasis placed on guys who really, really miss bats because they, they're going to try to steer even further away from contact than they did in this last era of guys being all over the field. So, um, yeah, I think I think you're going to see walks go up. You may see strikeouts go up, but you're also going to see walks go up. Uh, and I do think I think the single the single will become will <laughs> become acceptable again, which is just so weird to say. But it was for me there was a time where if you weren't hitting a double or a homer, nobody cared. Right. So I sat in a meeting once and the guy says, "Yeah, it was just a single though. Like it was just a single. A, a major league player just got a hit. It's just a single. Okay, yeah. right. it's that easy. Let's yeah. throw them out there. And I'm sure there'll be some there'll be some adjustment on the fly." And uh, I, I like I, I will say this. I do like the pitch clock, man. Get the ball, get your sign, yeah. and let's go. You know, get your, get the ball, <laughs> get the sign. Let's and listen. I I will say this. It's gonna be an adjustment for hitters too, because you can see some guys that, that are rain delays getting back in the box, right. too. So there's gonna be there's gonna be some ejections coming from guys getting uh you know strikes called on them, strikeouts called on them, balls, walks, whatever. It's gonna be you're gonna see some fireworks early, for sure. So what was the uh, transition like from going, uh, playing to the front office? Was that a tough adjustment or? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. You go from, you go from work. So first of all, like, again, I was on the rocket ship, man. And, and I, I, I totally get that. I, like I said, you know, I, I told my, I told my dad at eight that I want to play football at Michigan. I told my dad at 14, I want to be GM of the Detroit Pistons. Um, <laughs> You know, so I'm, I, I misfired on both, but uh, I wanted to be in athletic administration 
ever since I could remember. I like the business side of of I like sports and I like the I I I come to I've come to love the business side of it. Um and that was I knew I was preparing myself for that throughout the last part of my career. Uh and trying to read and trying to learn and trying to just just ask different people that were already on that side of it about what that was like. I never expected to go directly from cleats to pleats uh in a decision making capacity running a a multi-million dollar department and having about 200 players or not, but we about 185 players and 60 staff members under my watch um about six weeks after i had retired that was not the plan um so um it, it was it was the learning curve steep is not the word for it it was like you know, i was in the you know, I'm I'm at the edge of the Pacific Ocean, and there's a buoy about a mile out, and you can see the sharks and the orcas and and in the submarines in the water. And they, you know, there's a buoy out there. Said, "Okay, kid, have at it. Go get to that buoy." That's what it felt like. Um, yeah. But it it was a it was a situation where um I wasn't going to let myself fail, and it wasn't because I knew what I was doing. I was smart enough to know I had no clue. And to just ask questions nonstop, even if some of the questions are dumb, ask the questions. Because what's dumber is not knowing the answer and doing something and screwing something up big time. Exactly. Again, learn before you teach, right? It is. It. I had, you know, and it, and it, it was a, it was, so I was 34 years, I was 35 years old when I got that gig, right? I had just retired. Um, Did you no move to Arizona? Or, I moved um, to California. Anaheim. I moved to Anaheim. Um, Jerry, I was working for Jerry DePoto. They wanted me out in the office every day, which I get. But had I had to do it over again, maybe even after that first year in the office, I would have moved to Arizona. Because that's the real nerve center of your minor league system. Yeah, I think every director of player development needs to be at the hub or either in Arizona or Florida, right? That is literally like yeah. minor league headquarters. That's, that's, that's the nerve center. That's where I should have been, right? And I get it because I was so new. You know, had I been, you know, had I worked my way through a scout as a, you know, do scouting or or whatever program to get in that seat for like three, four, five years, maybe it's a different deal. But um, your 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 nerve center of your minor league system is your is your spring training home, and that's where that's where the the DPD director of player development needs to be, in my opinion. Yeah, same. Um, but my God, I mean, it was everything. It was it was you know, learning. So, and here's another big thing too. I had an idea of what it looked like on the position player side. Right. But I just spent 14 years as a position player. All I knew was the business end of pitching. So I had to completely learn a new discipline, not just to do discipline, but then how to evaluate that discipline. Right. Um, I had so many good, Scott service was great. Um, Scott service had a really, really big job. He was over scouting and player development. He was spread entirely too thin. I don't think anybody should have that one job in any organization. Um, so when I say this, I don't mean it in a, in with malice. He wasn't as much help as he should have been for me because he was asked to do so much in that organization. There was a small shop. They ran a small shop. That's how they did it. Just Jerry's prerogative. Um, you know, that's neither here nor there, but I think that, I mean, I, I, Dejon Watson, uh, Mike Bell was, uh, farm director for the Arizona Diamondbacks. God rest his soul. I mean, those guys were unbelievable to me. Telling me stuff, helping me with stuff they had no business probably helping me with. Because yeah. I mean, there was I, I you know, I won't say there was proprietary information shared, but there was a lot of stuff that ha- they had to know to help me through situations. Yeah, and your direct uh, competition. 
the, the, but honorable honorable people, right? Like and you know, like Ronnie Richardson, who was now works for the the league office, but he was uh, assistant director of player development, and it, it ended up being director of player development for the Kansas City Royals at the time. Um, Keith Lipman with the with the Oakland A's, who was a veteran farm director. Uh, uh, my old farm director, who was actually first base coach for the Oakland A's at the time, Ty Waller. Unbelievable humans that that helped me through at a time where I was I won't say clueless, but it was, you know, I just I just got done managing me. Now yeah. I've got me plus one seventy nine and sixty coaches and medical staff, and 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 I'm managing up, and and it was it was it was such a learning curve. I had picked my family up and moved them to California. My first son, my son was my only child was born that summer. Like there was so much happening that first year. It was absolutely insane. We had Jared Weaver or uh, yeah, Jared Weaver broke his arm opening day. Scott, Scott service calls me. He says, okay, so, so we got to get somebody going from triple A uh, to the big leagues, this, this, and this. And so I said, Scotty, how do I do that? Like, what do we, what do I, who, what do I need to do? Like, who do I need to call? Like, what happens now? And he kind of chuckled because he realized, like, this is opening day of my first year being a farm director. And we had never done this before. Yeah, that's crazy. Scotty, he was great. Again, he was spread so thin in that job and what he was asked to do. I don't want, I don't want that to seem like I, he didn't help me. He helped me a ton, but he was, he was, he, I wish he would have been around. I think he probably wishes he would have been around more for my development, but, um, but we figured it out, man. I mean, we it, it was it was some struggle. It wasn't easy. Um, I made some mistakes, but I, you know, internally, I had people like uh, Tim Schmidt was a veteran scout that had seen everything um, under the sun. He helped me a lot with the pitching. Uh, Larry Corrigan had had every single uh, job in the game. Marcel Latchman was unbelievable and helped me learn pitching. Uh, just the the the. the, the those guys have forgotten more in the last 15 seconds than I ever knew about the game, but they were so gracious with their time. They were so gracious with their, um, their, their lessons. Uh, Rick Wilson was our director of pro scouting at the time. He was instrumental and in helped me understand what amateurs look like and, and how they enter into your organization. And then the, the role that scouting and player development have to play in conjunction with each other. It was amazing. I mean, it was, I look back on that time and it was hard. It was very hard, but I look back on that time and I learned so much. So it was tremendous. Yeah, I bet. I mean, there's always so much more to learn. And obviously every, every minor league team works differently. So let alone six of them in one organization, every organization works differently. There's always a lot to learn. And yeah, kudos to you for just jumping in and taking on that because what a doozy that would have been. <laughs> no, it was it, like I said, it was it was one of those situations where I got offered the job and I was like, this really just happened. Like I just <laughs> got this job. And uh I, and and I will say this, uh, you know, uh thanks again to the late Kevin Towers. Uh KT got rest his soul. He told me, I remember he was the GM in San Diego when I got drafted. And he was always, we, I don't know what it was. I wasn't, look, I was a 14th round senior sign. I wasn't high profile, wasn't a prospect, but he always, when it would come to the minor league side, he always talked to me. And I remember one year, it was probably 2004 or five. It was towards the end. He goes, Scalzi, you know, 20 years from now, when you're done, I want you to work for me. 
And so what what ended up happening, my agent called him when I was done. And he was at that point, he was GM of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And KT said, and he said, hey, uh, my, my agent, Barry Meister, Barry said, you know, he's, he's recounting a phone call he had with him. He goes, hey, you know, uh, you know, Bobby's looking. He wants to stay in the game, wants to get in the front office. And he says, you know, I don't have anything here in Arizona, but call Jerry. You know, I know he's looking for people. And that's how it happened. So I, I, I have been my upbringing in the game. I mean, and I'm missing people like Tony Franklin was my infield coach with, with San Diego. Um, and, and he's like my uncle, like he's not even my, co- he was not even my coach. I feel like the first couple of years, like that's it. That, now he's my uncle. I mean, he came yeah. to the wedding. He asked about my son on a regular basis. We talk quite often. Like I, my, my upbringing in the game, um, uh, Craig Colbert, they call him Dewey. His name's Dewey Colbert in the industry. He was my manager. I played for the same manager in San Diego system for six straight years. Wow. Uh, Darren Ballsley, the pitching coach. Uh, he was my pitching coach to double A in the San Diego organization. Um, um, you know, ended up being major league pitching coach there for I, I say almost 15, 16 years, something like that. My upbringing in the game at 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 that early juncture, and then even as I went through, I I played for so many quality men, uh, quality humans, and 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 uh, my my like I said, I was raised in the game the right way, so I was very very fortunate to be a part of some really tremendous learning opportunities. Yeah, it sounds like it. it's amazing. And then you go with the Pirates and you meet me and you're like, okay, I can't meet anyone as cool. So I'm just going to no shot. Um, hang it up. And um, now you're at Sports Info Solutions. That's exactly how it went down, right? <laughs> That's exactly how it went down. I should just stop meeting people now because, you know, you're the pinnacle of coolness. So Right. Totally. Uh, <laughs> no, listen. So I, 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 you know, we had a regime change in L.A. Uh, Billy came in. Billy was good to me. Uh, but again, it's one of those situations where they want their own people. I get it. Um, I got out of the game in 17. I went through some stuff uh, with my, with you know, my now ex-wife. I got, uh, it was getting, it was getting a little crazy. And I felt like I was trying to save my marriage and come home more and be home more. So I got out of the game. I sold insurance for about eight months. That was not it. Uh, and I remember calling Larry Broadway midseason. I said, LB, man, I, I tried something, do something else. This isn't it. This isn't it at all. Um, and did you and know LB before? Played against LB back in okay. the day. Okay. And then uh, his beginning as a farm gr- director coincided with mine. Cool. So we were we were young FDs trying to figure it out. Uh, and we would see each other at, you know, at, at those functions and in the winter meetings and stuff like that. And the farm directors meetings and things of that nature and league meetings. Um, and so, um, yeah, knew, knew, knew LB a little bit. And then, nice. you know, uh, so yeah, that was, so reached out to those guys. Um, and the initial thing that I, that I, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I was calling everybody. I knew everybody in the Rolodex was getting called. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, um, he wanted me to manage and do some other things. And I, I again, the, the, the goal was to have impact on a baseball operations department, but also be able to get home some mm. <clears throat> because I was going through some stuff at the house. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, it didn't work out at first. And then he called me, I want to say it was like November or December. Cause I ended up interviewing uh, at the winter meetings in, or- in Orlando that year. So that was December. I went down there and I interviewed with those guys, um, uh, Kyle Stark, uh, LB, um, Stevie Williams. Stevie basically hit me upside the head and said, you come over here. Stop talking all this trash. You need to come over here. <laughs> Classic. Over here. He's unbelievable. Uh, and so the preacher got a hold of me and that was that. And I ended up, I ended up, uh, you know, I got the, I got the gig and 
and um and that was 2018 uh unbelievable uh, unbelievable people i mean just just so many good experiences over there pittsburgh and it was good for me at that point that culture and that regime was it perfect absolutely not did it have its flaws sure there were some but one thing that i have and it really honestly it catapulted me into my next really area of growth and and um study they had a very mature culture that was very well defined they knew who they were right yeah um and so culture development leadership development culture development is something that i've really developed a huge passion for and it's because there were things i thought i was trying to do in in la and and, and there were some things that were just the scaffolding wasn't in place but I went somewhere where the scaffolding wasn't in place. The, the, the building was done. Mm. Right. And so I saw what it looked like. And so it's one of those things where if you talk to people, you do enough study, you do enough discovery for yourself, you can work backwards as to how they put the scaffolding up, they built right. the building, they took the scaffolding down. Right. And that, that journey, that process was so interesting to me. And I really, I've really, I feel like I've really found my niche in terms of things that I'm really, 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 really passionate about. How do we, how do we turn organizations? How do we improve organizations? How do we get people? To, I mean, look, I was, I'm a player development guy to begin with. So it's always about getting people to the next dot. How do we get somebody to the next dot in their development, regardless of what they're doing? Right. right? And so that's what that, that experience, those, you know, those years with pi the pirates really turned me on to that. And, and, um, you know, lead me kind of to where I am now. Well, you're good at it and your passion definitely comes through. Um, very excited to see what you get into at SIS, but also consulting and freelancing. Um, what's it like been so far at your new gig at um SIS? SIS is awesome. Uh Sports Info Solutions. Uh for those who don't know, um we are uh, we're we are a sports data company. Uh we started as baseball information baseball info solutions. Uh, in the early 2000s, founded by uh, John Dewan and 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 really the godfather of modern baseball analytics, uh, uh, Bill James, and you know the the process has evolved over time. Um, went from BIS to Sports Info Solutions 2015 when we brought football on, and now we have football, basketball, and baseball uh, as our main three. Uh, you know, I, I say silos, but main three verticals. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and so. What we do basically is we we aggregate uh, data uh, across the landscape of baseball, um, uh, majorly at the major league level, at the minor league level, uh, KBO in J in Korea and MPB in Japan, um, and we do some advanced analytic work uh, and we deliver some of those. We deliver advanced data to anybody who uh, wants to 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 uh, to purchase it uh, to help you make better solutions, better decisions for whatever solution you're trying to trying to solve um we have just gotten a secured a round of uh of funding we've got we got purchased by audio capital oh, cool. um um and so the the you know john still has a, a small piece of the company he's still on as an advisor but for the most part we're owned by auto audio capital uh out of boston and uh dan hannigan daly is our is our ceo he comes from the gaming world obviously we know that the proliferation of gaming uh and sports betting in the united states now is really uh is really uh it's legal yeah. and so um you know that's a that's a market that we're looking to explore we're looking to make sure that uh obviously we service our 
our clients across the big leagues. We have 21 of 30 teams under, under contract now. Um, and um, uh, some deals with some other some other partners as well. Um, and it's interesting uh, being on this side of it. It truly yeah, is being on the, sure. on the revenue generation side, not just the revenue generation side, but the data side. I don't I don't I don't do the old school versus new school nonsense. I think it's all school and it's all stuff we need to. Have. It is. I mean, I you know, I love that. Look, I love that. I'm going to use that. It, it is. So, like, I, I'll give you an example. Like when, when I was in a ball, the first thing you do, you get off the bus, you're in you're in Cedar Rapids, you get off the bus, you go over there and you um, you run to the table. And there's three stat packs and you look at what you're doing in your last 10. You look at what you're doing in your last five. I always used to look at what I'm doing in uh, hitting. What am I doing with runners in scoring position? And what am I doing with runners in scoring position two outs? That's what I wanted to know about myself. The rest mm -hmm. of it I didn't care about. So we're all numbers people. Yeah. I've said on the back of the bus going from Jacksonville to Mobile. If I get if I go 30 for my next 72, what my batting average going to be? Like that, I did that. I'm not afraid to say it. I didn't, uh, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't care about the numbers. Yeah, you do. Everybody does. <laughs> so, so we're all, we're all numbers people, right? We all are. So now we have more advanced ways of, of gathering that data. We have more advanced ways of looking and analyzing that data. We have more things we can run with secret regressions. Okay. Is this guy going to regress to the mean after having an unbelievable year that this, uh, this year, what's it going to look like last year? We have really smart people that are, can build really uh, intricate complex algorithms to try to predict things okay this is nothing more than what we've done in the past we just have more advanced ways to do it now and all of a sudden it's new school it's crazy no it's all school they're all tools we need to use all parts of it to make the best decisions possible and uh we're just on the data side of it at sis so it's been it's been really uh it's been awesome it's been a great education um thus far i've been there i'm a couple days shy of eight months um so getting to know people, getting to know our processes, and now hoping to uh, to to guide to help guide this company in the right direction from the baseball side. Very cool, Scotty. Were you an intern with BIS? No, I or? almost was. So oh, before okay. I took the job with the Mets, I almost went to BIS. Um, but my my boss with the Blue Jays actually came from BIS when I was intern with the Blue Jays before the year before, and he told me he learned the most about evaluating players while he was there like he, he had actual like education there that's one thing like i went into the video scouting internship with the uh, mm -hmm. um, blue jays and i was in rookie ball in the appalachian league and um, what year was that 2016. you were there with vlad yep Vlad's i was first scouting year. that year for, i was scouting that year i was a special assistant scouting that year because i had i had the braves organization okay danville yeah yeah you were in bluefield it was. It was a special place. Yeah, it was special. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. I just drove through there actually this weekend. Oof. Anyways, yeah. Princeton and Bluefield. Yeah, the, the Abbey, Princeton the Rays. The it's Abbey quite the is experience. a special place, man. Yeah. And then the next year when we were when Sarah and I met when we were at the Mets. Yeah, we yeah. were video interns together in Port St. Lucie. Nice. And I spent a couple of weeks in Kingsport. That's also a special place. Yeah, <laughs> they all are. Bristol. They're, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You're sitting on a cinder block behind home plate in uh, Bristol. <laughs> Setting up cameras there is quite an adventure. So, um, but um, no, my, so yeah, my, my boss when I was in the Blue Jays, he told me he learned the most while he was at BIS. And um, I had a couple other friends that interned there um, and have had nothing but great things to say. So um, are you going to, is it still out of Allentown or do you, do you travel there? 
I have traveled there. Yeah, we still are in in the Allentown Lehigh Valley area. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now you know it's you know we're we we are in the the you know the world of remote work now. So a lot of our stuff is done remotely. There's still a lot of people that that uh, that uh, you know prefer to go uh, you know in person and in, in house. So yeah, I mean we we you know we we're not going to tell you no if you want to re- work remotely, but um, you know that's kind of just how it is now. I mean I, I live in Atlanta. So I don't I don't go up there often, but I I do go up there from time to time. Nice. Well, if you're ever coming back through Pittsburgh, maybe you, Stevie, me, Kinza, we can all get together. You know the DE and I group. Let's um, go. 100%. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be epic. So if you're ever in the area, let us know. But man, this was fun. Thank you so much for joining us, Bobby. Honestly, it's been an honor, and thank you so much for being. No, on. I. I I, I appreciate it, Sarah and, and, and Scott. It's, it's been really cool. Um, you know, uh, I like I said, I've, I've been fortunate to have some unbelievable experiences in this game. Um, you know, some have been really good, some you learn from, right? But uh, this game's been really good to me. I, I can't, I can't imagine what my life would have been like uh, had I not had the baseball and the people that baseball has allowed me to meet and and have conversations with and learn from and grow with. Uh, it's, it's, it's truly been amazing. I, I, I waxed poetic, poetic about it because it's truly something that like when it, it, it my I'm 45, I'm not old, but like, um, you look back on it and it's like, wow, I've, I have been around some really, really tremendous humans, uh, because of this game. Yeah. Us too. I mean, that's why we're here together. We've bonded. We've been friends ever since we were interns in the trenches together, you know, and it's why you, you're here because our paths cross. So that's right. I love the game of baseball for that reason. It really does bring people together and you get just to meet and talk and we all share this common passion and love for the, for the same game. It's pretty cool. That's right. Yeah. Bobby, it was nice to meet you. Hopefully we can do this again. Um, it was fun hearing all your stories and experiences in the game. So yeah, no, the but, man of a thousand stories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, the pleasure is mine. I, it really is. It really is. Thanks again, Bobby. I'll uh, text you and we'll be in touch. Thanks again so much. Really you got appreciate it. it. You got it. No problem. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Wow. Bobby Scales the second. What a guy. The man of a thousand stories. You weren't kidding. I really wasn't that. He knows how to talk. He has such great stories. I mean, he's been in the game for so long in so many different aspects and arenas. It's just, I could listen to him talk all day. Yeah, I think we could have done that another couple hours. We're definitely going to have to have him back on. Yeah, he's definitely a recurring guest, no doubt. Well, also, I'm glad you guys you got to meet. He's a good friend of mine, and so are you. So it's pretty cool to bring bring you guys together. Definitely. I've heard a lot about him, so it was exciting. Yeah, I'm sure. All right, cool. Well, we're going to refill our glasses and then get into some free agency and vineyard vibes. Let's get after it. Okay. Free agency, want to lead the show? All right. Or so should we talk about our previous wager before we get into Let's a talk new about our wager. previous wager before we get into our next wager. Okay. So last time we made a bet, whoever got the most... Um, postseason predictions correctly the loser or wins basically and the loser has to buy wine for the next month of pods so so sarah who lost yeah (laughs) i'm the one without a job and now i have to buy all this wine but you know i only have myself to blame in this economy (laughs) the audacity (laughs) yeah i 
only got four correct. I picked the Astros to go all the way. But you picked the World Series winner. That's I the picked, best. Yeah. That's one. And I also picked the amount that they won by, and I correctly picked the get bonus for that. MVP. I should. Are we? We doing? can talk about that after. Okay. Regardless, I got a lot wrong. So because I picked the Mets to face the Astros in the World Series, Whew, not even close. So yeah, I lose. I'm a big fat loser, and now I have to buy wine for the pod for the next month. So cool, 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 cool. And what I learned from my pred- predictions, I know the AL better than I know the NL. Yes, I'm an AL guy. Yeah, so. call you Big Al. Big Al. <laughs> okay, so what's this new wager? So new wager, we I gathered a list of the top fifteen free agents. Um, some of them have dropped off because they've already signed. We'll talk about that, um, and we're going to predict where they where they sign. So whoever gets the most right, we'll talk about that. Or should we do another wager online? I got an idea. Okay. I have a good idea okay. because we both hate New England. Uh, that the loser has to wear a New England jersey of some sort. Or so, something around yeah. England, right? Oh, this this would be a treat. Uh-huh. If if I lose, I have to wear like Red Sox, Patriots, like I don't want to be caught dead in that. Me neither. Crap. But, yeah. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right. It's a it's a New England wager. Yeah. If you will. Oh, a New England I was gonna say a New England wine wager, but it's not really quite that. But yes, a New England wager for free agency. I like it. I don't like it. I'm going to take this very seriously. Okay. I might change some picks mid-conversation. I know, I know. <laughs> um, but so are we doing a snake, or I just start We'll every... just run down. We'll, say, uh, we'll go down uh, starting at one, okay. and we'll each say who we're going to um, pick. And then I'll, I'll post a graphic later with all of our picks so we can be held accountable here. <laughs> Perfect swerve. <laughs> so number one, the top three agent. Aaron Judge. Everyone's talking about it. I say that the Yankees would be fools to let him go after the season he just had, you know, trying to beat Maris' home run record. I say he goes to the Yankees. Okay. I want to agree with you as our resident Yankee fan, but so I think a realist. At least I like to think so. I think that there are a lot of teams, well, big market teams are going to be spending a lot this free uh, offseason. Yep. And there's one that particularly said that they that money's not going to be an issue. They've already come out and said it. They're his hometown team, the San Francisco Giants. Mm, so I had it between New York and San Francisco, and I circled New York. All right, so Sarah has New York. I have the Giants. I also think the I put some runner ups. I also think the Yankees and Dodgers are going to be in play, but I also have Dodgers and Mets being in play. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> um, number two, Trey Turner. I think that Trey has made it public that he wants to come back to the East Coast. He's a Florida guy. I think he wants to do spring training in Florida. Um, I think there are going to be a few teams that are in on all the big shortstops. I think the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Mets, the Cardinals, the Red Sox, the Braves, maybe. Um, I think he's going to Philly. I think he's the perfect missing piece for that lineup. 
and he's had he has relationships with Bryce Harper and K Long, the hitting coach. So I'm gonna say Phillies. Ditto. Okay, there we go. Right. Philly, 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 Philly. Number three, Carlos Correa. Sarah, where do you have him going? So this one I did write down multiple as well, but I have him landing in. Okay, see, I don't know. I had him going to the Mets, but then I'm like, because he loves New York. Like I thought, he even with the Yankees, like maybe. But now I have him landing in San Francisco. Okay, so I think that's a good pick. I think like all those teams that I just mentioned are going to be in on the big shortstops. Um, I think that could definitely happen. I could see a team like the Yankees also. Well, maybe not the Yankees, but some team could, you know, take a bet on him to play third base. Too. Yeah. Because I think he'll eventually move there. Here's the one I mentioned to you before we started recording that you're going to be surprised by. This is my okay. curveball. Carlos Correa is going to sign with the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, because of Mike Elias? He has an existing relationship with Mike Elias. Um, they ha- they're ready to compete. They had a good season. They have Gunnar Henderson, who could play third base. Um, I like the fit. I, I think he's a perfect fit for Baltimore. Uh, I could also see him going to the Dodgers, which would be an interesting reunion. Not reunion, but, um, you know, the Ashes Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, it's like Ruth. It's like Damon. It's just like anyone going to there. I think the Twins want him back, but I don't know if they'll be able to sign him. I think uh, the Phillies are also in play and the Cardinals. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go with the Orioles. Okay, I like that pick. I like yeah. that curveball a good one so i have giants and you have orioles i do see him liking the northeast for some yeah. reason in my mind i'm like he's he wants to go there i don't know if i just made that up so i do like the orioles pick but i'm still gonna stick with the giants big city he likes the glam he likes you know so my whole thinking behind the orioles too like last offseason we didn't expect the tw- twins came out of nowhere yeah so i don't know he has an existing relationship with mike elias and um yep you know i i think baltimore could surprise us this offseason number four the 34 year old jacob Degrom. Degrom in it i think that jacob Degrom will not go back to new york this year same he has made it very do you think he's gonna be Ooh, i'm so sorry i just interrupted no no um i but i did read reports that he has shown interest in both both texas teams it sounds like there's a interest in moving to texas overall Um, i'm gonna go with the rangers i think the rangers are really wanting to win in their new ballpark they just spent a ton of money on seager and Semyon last year i think they just hired bruce bochy as their manager I think they want to win next year. So um, there's mutual interest there. I think Grom signs like a three-year, very high AAV deal. Okay. I have him going to St. Louis. Whoa, I like it. Yeah. Okay, give me your reasoning. I think, you know, just seeing what they've done with Adam Wainwright, they also have Nolan Arenado there. Like they can develop older kind of like what Bobby was talking about older guys who are redeveloping themselves to figure it out and still be dominant at the top of their game. Like Verlander had to do like Schmoltz. That's kind of where I see DeGrom going. And I know that they have those pieces in place to help him do that. They also, like I said, have Nolan Arenado. They have that young outfield. They're also ready to win. They won that um, NL central this year. So I have him going to St. Louis. I like that pick a lot. Cause I like the Cardinals as a team. I think they, 
like he would be a great addition. And I think they're, they need to add like a bat too. Um, I had trouble finding matches with, I think any of these shortstops could go there too. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I, I love that actually. Nice. Thanks. Um, number five. Number five. The other aged ace, aged ace, Justin Verlander, reigning Cy Young winner, has been announced, but definitely we know. gonna win it. Yeah. Um, where's he gonna go, Sarah? I have him staying in H Town, baby. So do I. We agree there. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I, I've read some reports that some big markets might be of interest to him recently, and could pull him away, like one of the New York teams. I think the Mets probably more likely. Yeah. Uh, which would be wild. I guess you just lose to Grom and replace him with Verlander. <laughs> I could see that. But I do like he's thirty nine. Um, he is just won a World Series. Does he really want to jump to? I don't. Max Scherzer just did. So I don't know. I think he resigns with the Astros, but I don't think the Yankees or Mets would surprise me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, just breaking news. I don't know if you saw this while we were recording. Terry Francona won AL Manager of the Year. Oh, yeah. And um, Buck Showalter won NL Manager Let's of go. the Year. Let's go. Yeah. Two veterans of the game. I love Tito. I love Buck. Those are great. Uh, I, I thought yeah, Brandon like, Hyde. Year <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously, is this 2004? Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought Brandon Hyde from the Orioles was going to win AL, but I, I love Dita. I'll never be mad about him. Yeah, same. Yeah, so, Great. number six. Speaking of Boston. Oh. <laughs> so, Xander Bogarts. I think uh, this pick I'm not comfortable with. I think he could go to a number of places. I don't think he's resigning with Boston. Okay. I think Boston, it would be a grave mistake for them to not re-sign him. I think they'll probably just slide Trevor Story over. But I think he could land a number of places. I have Cubs. Mm. Cubs need that shortstop. I think they want to start accelerating the timeline. Um, they just stated that they... I saw a report that they're not going to give out like a big... Uh, Jed Hoyer is not um, keen on giving out a long-term deal. I think Xander's one of the older shortstops. You can get maybe a five-year deal, higher AV. Um, I could also I pre- I previously had Correa going there, but Correa's the younger shortstop. I think he's going to command a bigger deal. Go to a team like the Orioles. I got the Cubs. I could see Phillies too. Bet Dave Dombrowski connection. Uh, I could see Cardinals. I, I think that's also a possibility. Yeah. And Dodgers. What do you say? I still have I have him signing with Boston. I do see him going back there. I don't know why. I just feel that. That's literally my reasoning. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. I just think that he will. Nice. Yeah, no, I I, I think it'd be a grave mistake for Boston to let him go after. Especially after the whole bets thing. Yeah, exactly what I was about to say. Like yeah. trading bets, you gotta and they Better give Rafael Devers a blank check. Because, oh my God, right? I mean, I, I don't know why they're operating in the way that they are. They, the Xander Bogarts, I think, is one of the most, I don't even know if you'd call him underrated, but like you don't, you know, you hear other names at shortstop before you hear Xander Bogarts. I, I think he's so consistent and I would kill to have him on my team. Yeah, any day so, of the week. Um, number seven, Carlos Rodon. Sarah, where's he going? So he spent a lot of time in Chicago. I think he's going to go back there, but this time with the Cubs. He's going to Wrigley. Yeah, I think okay. he's going to Wrigley. I have that down as a possibility too, actually. I have him as one of my 
top three possibilities for Rodon. Um, I think it's very likely that he could also go to an NLA's team. If it's not the Cubs, I could see the Phillies or the Mets, and I have him going to the Mets. Okay. Especially if Verlander goes back to Houston, I think they're going to make an aggressive pursuit at another. See, that's the uh, thing about this list. It's a puzzle oh, it's piece. A, it's a domino, a domino yeah, effect. Yeah, exactly. That's the beauty of free agency, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, everything can kind of fall into a place here shortly. So um, I have the Mets. I think that they're definitely going to be spenders. They might be losing multiple pieces too so they're going to be having to replace those guys i could also see the cubs i like that pick thanks i also like that pick number eight dancy swanson. swanson so here's another one like i think him and bogarts could be interchangeable like i think they will i don't know if um i think they i could see them both getting five six year deals i don't see him going back to the braves same. I have two teams listed, and neither of them are Atlanta. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I have... Okay. It's it's that group of teams I named for shortstop. Um, I really like the Cardinals for Dansby. See the Cubs. I'm predicting Dodgers, because Dodgers are going to replace Trey Turner with one of those guys. Okay. Um, I it just That's just where it fit when I was filling this out. I, I, I think if they sign Dansby, I think he's going to get the smaller contract of all the big name choice stops. And, you know, that's doesn't that's no knock on Dansby. He's a great player. But um I could see him getting five, six years, maybe a little bit under sub two hundred mil. So. Yeah. I have him going to Minnesota. Ooh. Because if Carlos leaves, then they're gonna need to replace him and I have that being Dansby. So I see, yeah, I see Minnesota going after shortstop too. This yeah. is where, like, I don't feel comfortable with these shortstops. I think that they could, I could be wrong it's on a all of them. Yeah. Because, like, the Cardinals you could use a shortstop. The Twins could use a shortstop. Yeah. They never sang Prea. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, you could definitely make that argument there. That's what I'm making then. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, Brandon Nemo. Where's he going? To? Our guy, our guy. Our guy, Nim. I have two teams written down. I am going to say that he stays with the Mets. Mm. Okay. I don't know if I believe it, but that's what I'm going to say. Okay. Uh, the other team I had, in case you're curious, yeah, go ahead. Whereas, uh, was Colorado. Okay. So I actually have Nimmo going to Colorado. Um, <laughs> I knew you did. That's why I picked him. I don't know. I, he's a big Midwest guy. Exactly. Like, uh, he's from Cheyenne, Wyoming. You know. Yeah, we talked about this on another pod. Yeah. That's why I put the Rockies originally, and then I was like... There was a rumor that the Rockies are willing to give him five year, 110, 115 mil. Oh, so I think, you know, I think he signs that. And uh, I don't really know what the Rockies are doing. I mean, they have an interesting team with Nimmo and Brian if they sign him and um, some other pieces. But um, I, I could also see the Mariners, the Giants, and the Mets. I could also see the Mariners. Mariners. I don't know about the rest besides the Mets, which I picked, obviously. So the Giants. You don't know about the Giants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the rest. <laughs> the rest. Um, well, you never know. Yeah, no, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say Rockies, but I wouldn't be surprised if he signs back to the Mets. The Mets, that's a the key piece. You know, high OBP guy, valuable to your lineup, good center fielder. So, yep. Uh, number ten, Wilson Contreras. Interesting guy. I um, 
I don't think he's back in Chicago. I also don't think he is. So there's there's a team that almost acquired him at the trade deadline, and I think they're going to get him in the offseason. The reigning World Series champs, the and Houston they, Astros. Yeah, for Jose Urquidy was Urquidy, the trade. Yeah, yeah, I think they're going to sign Contreras, you know, Martin Maldonado's a great defensive shortstop. He also came up clutch in a lot of situations with the play, but in the playoffs. But, um, you know, you're going to add that offensive bat. Uh, um, more offensive-minded catcher, especially if the electronic strike zone is coming. Like defensive catchers are going to be less valuable. Um, but still, Contreras is a great player, and I could also see the D-backs. I could see the Cardinals after using losing Yachty, um, and I could also see the Red Sox. Let's say you, Sarah. None of those are the team wow. that I picked. Okay, um, I'm going with Tampa Bay. Ooh. I could see him. They're smart. They know. I don't know. They just like know what they're doing. They're sneaky. They always have pretty good backstops. Um, and I think they they want to upgrade in that area. And I don't know. I just went with that. That's what I feel. Another team I heard rumors about is Detroit. Ooh, I could see that as well. The catcher AJ Hints. Um, yeah. So similar mindset. Um, number eleven, Jose Abreu. Okay, similar for Rondon. Abreu spent a lot of time in Chicago. Going across. I, yeah, have him going across town. I'm going to have him going to the Cubs, to Wrigley. So I actually have that as a fit for him. Um, I think the White Sox will try their best to keep him on their side of town. I do think the White Sox resign him. Um, new manager, manager coming in. Uh, I think they're going to want to try to keep most of this team together. If not, they could slide in Andrew Vaughn at first base. But I could see the Cubs and Astros as other fits as well. The Astros are going to going after first baseman. Um, he's the best one available. So, um, number twelve, Chris Bassett. Yeah, I have this this pitcher going to Minnesota. Match. Oh, hey. that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Um, yes, though, like you know, I think I think there's a number of options for him. I think he could go to the Dodgers. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Baltimore comes in and tries to sign him. Um, the Twins have been looking for that guy. I don't think I like Bassett a lot. Like I think he is an innings eater. I don't think he's your number one. But like I, that's the Minnesota has been operating with like all mid rotation pieces i feel like for the past decade yeah um so i he just he sounds like a twin i don't know yeah i i feel the name chris bassett it just sounds like he belongs in minnesota he's also a midwest guy he's from ohio oh perfecto big 10 guy um number 13 nathan eovaldi sarah where's he going i have him leaving the northeast yeah you can Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was making an ex- face expression. Um, but go ahead. What, um, where is, I have him going to Arlington to, to the Rangers. I like it. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, right. they're willing to spend, they're going to be a splashy team this offseason. You need pitchers to win. Mm-hmm. And of all these proven his success in the postseason, I think he's their ticket to red. Yeah. I like that. Um, I have him re signing with Boston because Boston cannot afford. Board to lose Xander and Nathan. Like their their biggest struggle was pitching, and I think they need to add beyond him. But for one guy that's been there for them for the past couple of years, I think they need to 
um, do everything they can to bring him back. They can't afford to lose both. Uh, I think Nathan comes back to Boston, unfortunately. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, I think they're going to be looking elsewhere for pitchers, too. I don't think it stops with him. Yeah, that makes sense. Number 14, Andrew Benintendi. Yeah, what do you got, Scotty? I have Benintendi staying with the Yankees. Uh-huh. I have them re-signing him, like three, four-year deal, maybe. That's what they were missing in the postseason. Like They were missing a high OBP, um, top-of-the-order bat, that and a left-handed bat, too. Like I think a full-season Yankee Stadium is going to have a, re- a really good year, and I they need to prioritize bringing him back because they need ba- uh, diversity in their lineup. They need a balanced lineup, um, especially if they don't bring back Judge. So, Yeah, I literally don't know where he's going to land. Like, okay. I have so many teams written down for him. Mm. I just, I don't know. I've heard a couple of spots, but I'm interested to see where you have them. So I have Cubs and Rangers okay. are my two. I've heard White Sox, too. I, so, yeah, I could see him in Chicago. I'm going to go with the Rangers, though, okay. just for fun. Yeah. They're, I could I see them being very aggressive this offseason. Yeah, just for no reason. They like, want to win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have him going with Texas. Where did you have him going again? I have him back oh, in New York. Yeah. Okay. Um, last but Certainly not least. not least. Top Japanese prospect, Kode Sanga. Flamethrower th- sits 98, 99, was touching 102. Um, I've heard he wants to be in a big market, wants to be in a team ready to win. I have the Red Sox on him. Same. Um, I also could see the Cubs. Cubs, I guess, say Suzuki is really recruiting him there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if either of them sign him, but I think the Red Sox are going to be really aggressive this offseason. I think they're going to, um, they need to spend, um, especially on the pitching side. Mm-hmm. I, I see him go to Boston. You haven't met Boston. Too. I also do. They're just notorious for getting overseas signings. Like that's just kind of, they're really good at it. They know what they're doing and I yeah. don't see why they wouldn't do it again. Yeah. Especially if they're willing to spend. Absolutely. So um, that wraps up our free agent prediction. Yeah. I was wondering if we could do an honorable mention. Yeah. Well, let's um, hear it. Sean Mania. He's going to pirates. I don't know. Maybe. That's Is that rumor. your guess? I've heard that rumor. I don't, I don't know. I mean, he'd be a good fit for, he, he looks like a pirate. He does look like a pirate, yeah. Where's he going? Um, well, what do you think? I can see the Pirates making a signing like that, like they did with Quintana last year. He's, uh, I think he'd be a good fit here. I have him going to Seattle. Okay. Staying on the West Coast. It's a good fit as well. Yeah, so just lock that in, an honorable mention. Well, if there's a tie break, well, I guess there wouldn't be because it's 15, but we have some that are the same, so if we need that extra one. Also, here's another one. Um <laughs> James and Tyon. Oh, yeah. I did see that one as well. I think he's going to Minnesota. He's going to join Chris Bassett. Mm. Chris Bassett, Sonny Gray, and James and Tyon. That sounds like the most twins rotation ever. Yeah. I'm going to say... I'm going to say Tyon goes to the Rangers. I really have them shopping around this year. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Big Rangers. I don't know. I just have it in my head that they're on on this year yeah so. no i think they are i mean I, it makes sense for them at this stage to be yeah um cool well that so was that, fun yeah that was really fun so we'll see how many we get right if any <laughs> okay um and then loser has to wear a new england jersey uh, for the next pod God. or you know the 
I guess it'll My be podcasting like... career might be over by then. <laughs> <laughs> so once all these free agents land, we'll have our answer. And then the next pot after that is when the loser will have to don the dreaded gross New England threads. Mm. So we vineyard vibes. Vineyard should, vibes. Should we talk about what's going on around the league. Yeah. What is the vibe around the vineyard these days? So first of all, welcome to the third segment of vineyard vibes. Um, <laughs> News is going to start really picking up. I have a lot of news this week. Okay. First, you mentioned Manager of the Year. I did, yep. Yesterday, it was announced the AL Rookie of the Year. It was Julio Rodriguez. Yep. Rutschman and Steven, my man, Rich Homie Kwan, came in <laughs> third. Um, and the NL Rookie of the Year was Michael Harris, center fielder of the Braves. Um, Spencer Strider, another Brave, and Brendan Donovan came in second and third. So it was a great rookie class. I thought... A lot of upcoming young talent. So many guys made their debuts this year. Um, I'm happy, excited to see next season. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, but, yep, yeah, congrats to those guys. Um, in other news, on World Series champs. Yeah. Houston Astros. James Click, their GM, rejected the one-year contract in sec- extension, along with the assistant GM, I mm-hmm. believe. And they won't return to Houston. Um I hope someone's calling James Click right now because he, he, he should not be unemployed. Uh, maybe he wants to take a break from it's a grind working in a front office. But if I am a front, if I am a major league organization, I am calling him yesterday. Yeah. So he rejected their one year contract. Yeah, that's, it was very surprising. Yeah. But uh, I guess when you get it one year after winning a World Series, it's a bit of a slap in the face. I would say it's kind of insulting. Yeah. I think he should be working with a much longer leash than that. For sure. Um, so I wonder what, if there was any internal, you know, beef there between yeah. him and the owner, but who knows? I uh, did get multiple texts that day being like, are you the next GM? Are you the next GM? Like, that would be awesome. Yeah. I Could like, you still do the Falvine if you're the GM? Definitely not, unfortunately. Uh, so yeah, we'll I had, to, I had to turn it down so I could keep doing the pod. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> um, also. John Daniels, the former Texas Rangers GM, was just named senior advisor to the to baseball operations for the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, interesting. So they add to their treasure chest of front no, office talent. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then also in other sad news, Blake Trinan, closer for the Dodgers. He is out until possibly 2024 after having right shoulder um, labrum and rotator cuff surgery. Whoa. That Tommy John guys come back from that often stronger shoulder is a major um red flag and you know definitely sucks to see i I bet the dodgers are going to try to shore up the back of their bullpen this offseason because he was a a key piece so uh definitely sad news there for the for the dodgers and for for blake um i feel bad for blake but i don't feel bad for the dodgers (laughs) yeah yeah exactly um so on Trades wise, there's been some trades happening. Wait, before can you go back to front office? Yeah. Um, oh yes, please. Let's. This is big news. Yeah. So in front office news, did you hear that, everyone? That's a glass ceiling being shattered. We have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh yeah. We have a president of a major league baseball organization that is female. You love to see it. Her name is Carolyn O'Connor. She's the president of business operations for the Miami Marlins. And she joins the first female GM in Kim Ang. Yep. With Miami. So Miami's 
shattering ceilings. Yeah. So, Talk about a dynamic duo. Am I let's right? go. This is awesome. This is good for the sport. Um, I hope we see, see more hires like this. Um, okay. Now you can get back into so free agency. There's been some trades. Oh, trades. Yes. For our local team, G-Man Choi was traded from the Rays to the Pirates yep. for minor league pitcher Jack Hartman. Don't have too much information on Jack Hartman. Um, you know, if the Rays are training for him, for him, I'm sure he's going to be the next Shane McClanahan. <laughs> but, <laughs> the Pirates are um, we're definitely looking for a first baseman. I think he'll probably platoon at first base with someone starting next year. Um, so that'll that's an you know interesting trade for sure. Um, Jake Odorizzi was traded from the um, to Texas. Uh, from the, the Braves, Braves. That's right. for Colby Allard, who was originally traded. He was a Braves first round pick um, 2015, I want to say. Don't quote me. Um, he was originally traded from the Braves to Texas in 2019 for reliever Chris Martin. So he's traded back to the Braves. Okay. He's another uh, lefty pitcher at some depth. He's made some big league starts. And the Rangers add to the rotation. So according to Sarah, they could have Jake Odorizzi. Nathan Evaldi, Nathan Evaldi and, and Jameson Tyon. Oh, wait. Redone. Yeah. Didn't you have Redone going to Texas? No, I have Redone going to Chicago. Never mind. But anyways, so they could have a very deep rotation this year. Yeah, I like um, to call him Jake Over Easy. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, you know, also there's some rumor, some trade candidates to look out for for the next couple weeks or months. Pablo Lopez for the Marlins. Um, Sean Murphy, catcher for the A's possible landing spot boston okay um the blue jays are shopping one of their three catchers are very deep there christian kirk danny jansen gabrielle moreno i would venture to say that moreno is probably their top one of their top prospects you know kirk was just an all-star catcher i could see them trying to shop moreno um getting something for him adding to their depth um the mariners are shopping jesse winker um Ian Happ for the Cubs has been a trade candidate for I would say the past year. Brian Reynolds, I don't I don't see him being traded, but if the right offer comes, that could happen. Tyler O'Neill for the Cardinals, Glaber Torres, and Shohei Otani. Is it happening, Sarah? Do you think he gets traded? I don't. You don't think so? Do you think he gets traded? I think that. The Angels would be fools not to trade him at this point. Um, he's your most valuable asset. I'm not letting him walk. I'm getting something for him because yeah. when he hits free agency in a year, I want to say he's, you know, you want to get something for some for a guy that valuable. Yeah, and I don't see them competing unless they plan on competing here. Um, I would definitely. I think they would get a ton for Otani. So, yeah, they could get an entire farm system. <laughs> yeah. So as I mentioned, Seattle uh, was willing to is willing to trade Winker and one of their starters, Marco Gonzalez or Chris Flexen, who I think Chris Flexen reaches free agency next year. So um, they're shopping those guys. Jerry Depoto is no stranger to making trades. We know that. We love that. Makes it fun for us fans. Um, one l- low key trade that I really like is Sam Hillard. Um, six five center fielder. He's big. He's kind of built like Cody Bellinger almost, and he's got this similar tool set. Strikes out a lot, but there's a lot of potential in that bat. Um, was traded to the Braves. Ooh, so they add to their outfield depth uh, for a 24 year old A ball reliever. So you know, one of those you know 
very low risk trades that could end up being high reward. Um, on the free agent front, um, Kershaw resigned with the Dodgers for one year. Love that. So I actually thought there might be a. Everyone keeps talking about him going back to Dallas. He's where he grew up. Right. Um, I thought that might happen, especially with the rumor of Jacob Jogram going there. That'd be pretty cool. But he is staying. Um, and out of the 14 players that were off, offered the qualifying offer, only two accepted it. Jock Peterson's going back to San Francisco for one year, 19.65 million, I believe it is. Yep. It's a nice payday. Uh, yeah. And Martin Perez is headed back to the Rangers. So another arm for the Rangers, Sarah. <laughs> they are going to be rolling in arms. They need it. Yeah, they do. Um, the Yankees and Mariners are interested in the other top Japanese prospect, Masataka Yoshida. Um, he's a corner outfielder, left-handed hitter, would play really well at Yankee Stadium, yeah. high OBP guy. So um, that's another name to look out for. Uh, Padres back end reliever, Robert Suarez, re-signed for five years, $46 million. So the Padres now shored up the back end of their bullpen. They've got Suarez. They've got Josh Hader. Um, so that was a big signing for them. Yeah. And then today, before we talked about our free agents, we had to um, knock a few guys out of the top 15 list because they signed already. It's pretty early for signings. Uh, Tyler Anderson signed with the Angels for three years, $39 million. I actually had him going back to the Dodgers, so I'm glad that came out today. Okay. Um, because of this, Tyler Anderson was offered a qualifying offer. So since he didn't re-sign with the Dodgers and sign with the Angels, the Angels use, lose a second-round pick. There's draft compensation that goes along with these qualifying offers. And the Dodgers gain a pick after the fourth round. I, To be honest with you, I don't know how those picks are determined, something we can dive into in a future episode. But, um, yeah, the, the Angels are losing a second-round pick. They think Tyler Anderson is worth for that. And I'm, I would venture to say he probably is. Former Bucko. Former Bucko. And then also, hallelujah, Anthony Rizzo re-signed with the Yankees for two years, $34 million. Um, Is this a key to keeping Judge in the Bronx? Rizzo and Judge are close. I sure hope so. We'll, we'll soon find out. But it was a rumor last night. No- the other night, Ken Ro- Rosenthal reported that the Astros' number one priority was Anthony Rizzo, and I almost fainted. So I'm <laughs> glad he's staying in New York. Um, I think he he's he fits the Bronx like he is a Yankee. So. Yeah. He's your Yankee. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. The vibes seem good. They seem busy. Things are happening earlier this season, which we love. Obviously there's no CBA that needs to be negotiated, a collective bargaining agreement. And so things are getting going. If I were the players, I would also want to sign a little bit earlier, especially for the holidays, right? Like Anthony Rizzo gets to go into Thanksgiving with no stress about living about a new job about where's he gonna sign where's he gonna live what's what's gonna happen to his future how nice is that like if i were a player i definitely want to sign or maybe accept the qualifying offer so i could just have peace of mind throughout the holiday season yeah no i completely agree i I wouldn't want to wait some guys wait till february like i would want to know i want to be prepared to go to spring training whether that's florida arizona um i'd want to get to start knowing my teammates my coaches exactly there's a lot that goes into it. Um, yeah. Something I wanted to add to today, November 15th, as we're recording, is a deadline to add minor leaguers to the 40-man roster and protect them from the World 5 jet draft. So there's a lot of news that we did not report. A lot of trades are probably happening, especially in Tampa, because Tampa is a notorious 40-man crunch team. Like They have a logjam of players at the upper levels. 
um, and at a certain year of service time, you have they have to either be added to the forty man roster or left unprotected to the Rule Five draft. So a team, if they think they're eligible to be on the major league roster and during the winter meetings of the Rule Five draft, they can select them and place them on their forty man roster. Um, so you'll see a lot of low key minor league trades today happening. Um, I saw a few the the when I got here today before we started recording, I think the Rays made three already. Oh wow. So um yeah, you're gonna see a lot of those today. Um the 40 man rosters will be set by tonight. Yep. Cool. Yeah, lots going on. Things are heating up. Hot stove is heating it's up. It's burning up. Yeah. It's burning. Which we love to see. We're here yeah. for that. Very cool. Love that. I'm excited excited to see what happens within the next week for our next recording and very ready um for this off season to uh, to be honest mm-hmm. very excited baseball is like slowing down a little bit obviously not really the industry but the game itself for us um yeah um it, off season is just a different monster. it's a different like, animal it's, yeah, yeah. Like, I, to be honest with you i miss it a lot already it's like I, I saw it's like 103 days till the first spring training game. I'm counting down. I, I'm excited for the World Baseball Classic already. And I find myself on fan graphs looking at depth charts already. Like I'm 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 ready to go. I'm 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 excited for the season to start. Yeah. I'm excited to see some of the news come out. So Yeah, I'm obviously in a little bit of a, of a different mindset, having just so different. Um I wouldn't say I would say that I've just been in the trenches in baseball yeah. longer than you have. So I'm coming out of it a little bit and a little bit rusty and need to let my bones relax before I j- jump in. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. Let's let's drink some wine and rate it. All righty. I think I'm about ready. I really like this one. I like the smoky. I really liked the charred vanilla. What do you think? What do you like about it? Yeah, I like the uh, the smoky aftertaste. Like you, you, you can tell it's been s- sitting in a bourbon barrel, right? Yeah. Like it does have that that bourbon smoky oaky taste to it. Um, do you have your grade ready? Yes, I. Oh yes, mm, you go first. <laughs> I am giving this a 60. Mm. Um, very good wine. I love my very bold, full-bodied wines. Um, this one definitely this is one of the better ones we've had, I think. I agree. That's why I'm in between a 60 and a 70, and there are no half okay. grades. So, you can do a half grade. Mm. Yeah, just like I could give this a 70. I wouldn't have a problem with that. But then I think I bet there's just so much more better wine out there to come that I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, hey, I'll do a 70 just because I'm optimistic and I want to be different than you. There we go. All right. Go, go grab a glass of this 60 grade wine, 60, 70 grade wine, maybe a 65. Yeah. Who would you? Who would I comp it to? Mm-hmm. Oh man! Anyone, um, the Buffalo does the Buffalo speak speak to that? You know what? I don't know if I'd rate him as sixty. Oh yeah, he's about to say Buffalo. I'm thinking Midwest. Let's go Brandon Nimmo. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, to the Brandon Nimmo of wines. 
Cheers. Cheers. Go grab a bottle. Shout out 1000 Stories. Shout out Bobby Scales. Thanks again. And yeah. we'll be at you next week with more hot stove and more baseball. More Solid. wine. Cheers. Cheers. Intro music by Jordan Montgomery and Driving Well Black Records. Uh, look, big paper, I increase my wealth. Uh, red wine, that's good for my health. Uh, wrestle with demons, I ain't take no L's. Uh, allow me to introduce myself. I said, big paper, I increase my wealth. Huh. Red wine, that's good for my health. Uh, wrestle with demons, I ain't take no L's. Huh? Allow me to introduce myself.